Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Podcast. It is the 10th of October, year of our Lord 2020. And with our intro, I have to today pause and reflect on the life of Eddie Van Halen. Um, you know, I was 11 years old and we had a neighbor who was older than me, of course. He was like 17 or 18, getting ready to go in the Marines. He literally ran me in the ground uh, when he came back on leave because he said, You got to get ready for basic uh, my senior year and he was like a drill sergeant technically because I didn't even know where we're running how far the first day was 10 miles and you know I was in shape I was a wrestler in football not very good but you know I wasn't that out of shape but I yeah I never ran 10 miles so this guy was a good friend you know I was somebody I looked up to and he gave me this album Van Halen one and I went home and we had a console AM FM eight track record player. One of those ones you get at Montgomery Wards. And for a lot of people, I just aged myself because, you know, Montgomery Wards doesn't even exist, but it was huge back then. It was like a Sears. Oh, wait a minute. That doesn't exist either. Um, it was like Amazon in a building. And with a pair of headphones, I played Eruption and Ain't Talking About Love. Over and over for 30 minutes. I had never heard anything like that in my life. I wasn't listening to hard rock. And as silly as it sounds, it changed my life. It literally changed my life, at least musically, on what I was going to listen to as I growed up. Growed up. As I grew up. How about that? Um, So, sadly, losing him at 65 to cancer. You know, that sucks. Uh, He was somebody that, like Jimi Hendrix, did stuff with the guitar that wasn't normal. And, you know, two years later, I had tickets to go. And, of course, Mama said no. So I did not go see Van Halen when they were huge, you know, in 79, 80. Um, I went later on in life. And it was disappointing because, you know, nobody, he could play good and the drummer could play and his son was the bassist, but David Lee Roth was a hot fucking mess. I mean, he was just, just a hot mess, but 
Um, and we hadn't been in concert in a long time. So everybody was getting stoned and fucking getting up and drinking. It was like nobody was really watching the show. And we had really good seats. We were like third row, probably 50 feet from the uh, stage on the side. And it was great visuals, everything. So, um, But it checked the block. You know, we did get to see him. And the, he did a eight-minute eruption that I thought about playing today. And I have the intro and the ending to that concert because I filmed it. But uh, with all the sound bites we have today, because there's so much going on, let's be honest, this is going to be a haphazard A block to a semi-narrative to violence. You know, it's just so much stupid. Today for our bumpers, we're going to play full tracks of Van Halen. Um, Ain't Talking About Love, which, of course, was the first song i you know heard and we're gonna play unchained which was the first song they played in the concert and i love the line uh the guitar line it was a really nice riff so uh that's today's show um hope everybody's good out there if you live in the south god be with you uh let's be honest it, it, it those poor people down in the gulf right now you know we've had uh, there's people still with tarps on their roofs and they're sadly going to have their houses trashed again so you know prayers to all those poor people um i will say on the political side it is very odd i have not here heard an overwhelming this is why we need the green new deal because as we'll talk in our um, narrative today they're not talking about anything they, they don't want to talk about anything because they just want to coast to the finish line. Um, they think they have it in the bag. The polls say they have it in the bag. And so for them, you know, that they, they think, well, we don't talk about anything. This is a done deal. And that's just sad. I mean, this is the same media that has especially during the 2016 you know it's just all bullshit and meanness and well you know we don't talk about the policy the american people deserve policies and all this shit you know and now we literally don't talk about shit you know there hasn't been a single single talk about policies that the left are going to do because they don't want that to get out. Uh, today I have a really good sound bite. It's from Tucker. I could have done about 20 from Tucker. And, and I feel less uh, bad about it. Because let's, let's be honest. Uh, the entire media complex gets to play their shit. And I play it on the show all the time. And I don't really play a lot of conservative stuff. Because I don't listen. You know, I don't watch conservative media. I, I, I'm an independent. I don't like Fox. You know, and, and I, I'm not a news person anymore. They broke me. But uh, Tucker's been nailing those people. And it's really sad because if they get their way, it, you know, it's it's he won't exist anymore. They'll push him right off the air. I mean, these people are fascists. So you got to you got to understand it. So before we get into how we're just literally blowing everything off and we're not really talking about important stuff, I'm going to play a soundbite that just happened the day before yesterday at a Camilla Harris event. Where they said Trump was retarded, and she said, yes, sir. You will hear McCain countering, 
And then you'll hear a Harris supporter own. I want to get these three out off the docket, and then we'll discuss. What's going to happen to people of color? So I don't buy that argument that impeachment does not make sense, Senate will acquit. I don't buy that argument. There needs to be accountability. I mean, what are you going to do in the next one year to diminish the mentally retarded action of this guy? Well said. (laughs) Well said. Um, Well, I I plan to win this election, I'll tell you that. And uh, frankly... We're, we're scared. Um, we're scared of an Obama presidency. First of all, I want to be president of the United States, and obviously I do not want Senator Obama to be. But I have to tell you, I have to tell you, he is a decent person and a person that you do not have to be scared as president of the United States. Now, I, I just... Now, I just... Now, now look, I... I if I didn't think I wouldn't be one heck of a lot better president, I wouldn't be running, okay? And that's the point. That's, that's the point. Um, i got to ask you a question. I do not uh, believe in, I can't trust Obama. I, I, I have read about him, and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No man. No man. No man. No man. He's a, he's a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues, and that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. You guys are just brainwashed from that white idiot. No, no, no. Why do you like, like, like Biden over no, Trump? No. Okay, white idiot, how can you said if you don't vote for me, you're not black? How can Biden say that? That's not racist? Man, he is that not racist? He said that. He said that. Pull it out. Pull it out. Okay, find it. Find it. He said if you do not vote for me, you are not black. Word for word. Somebody please find that. Senor, senor, what is this? It's Trump. The best You got more questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. I mean, really think about that. During that time, that was the only thing that McCain was good for, that he talked to those racist conservative people. And, you know, once again, um, we're about, if the polls are right, and I fear they are, Donald Trump's going to lose. And these losers are going to take over. And as we end the show today on the 25th, they're going to bump Biden because they want Harris to be president because they can push whatever they want. And all we're going to hear is about respecting the office of the president of the United States. That's all they're going to talk about. It is going to be nonstop. You must respect the office of the president of the United States. And if you don't, you're an un-American and with her being the VP, somehow Biden will be a person of color and female. You're a sexist racist. I remember this was a guy that was dead. They said McCain was dead. There's no fucking way 
he will make it out. Going to die. Um, and I, I just once you know you go through all these comments. Could you imagine this was the other way around? Just right now, if you said it about Biden, I have a name or two I could call her. It was willing to lower myself to the bottom feeding Twitter. Uh, this is so offensive to an entire group of vulnerable people, including my son. Because once again, remember, you can't say retarded. These are the people that are the word polices. Polices. As we're always going to have cracks in the beginning of our podcast, I'm going to mispronounce words. I don't know why. It's early. Sorry. Um, but these are the word police. They have made all classes of words, racist, sexist, homophobic, whatever. And... We're all the bad people for saying these words. I, I just don't understand. How, uh, this was not news, by the way. This was nothing. This is a Twitter story. So once again, everybody in the media saw it, but they're just not going to talk about it. And then we have this SCOTUS stuff. Okay, so I'm just going to throw it out there. You're going to hear his new statement. You'll learn about it after we get elected. It's just like, we'll know what's in the ACA when we pass the ACA, you know, that's, that's, that's big on these people. They're really big on the, we'll do it when we do it. You'll hear the media supporting it. And then you're going to hear a soundbite of just taxes. Cause you know, I can't get it all in the narrative, but that last VP, which we're going to do the VP debate today, they get away with so much lying and misrepresentation and there's no fact checks because we're not fact checking anything. You know, the media is in election mode. I mean, there was a 1,563 word New York Times article about the Venezuelan oil crash. The word socialist wasn't put in there once. Not once. So we're in protection mode. And it doesn't matter what these people say. The media is for it. It's a pure embarrassment. Gotta stop. They'll know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now, look, I know it's a great question, y'all, and I don't blame you for asking. But you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. Other than, other than focusing on what's happening now, the election has begun. There's never been a court appointment once an election begun. What, four million or so people have already voted. They're denying the American people the one shot they have under constitutional law to be able to have their input. And that is picking the person who can name who they want. They'll know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now, look, I know it's a great question, y'all, and I don't blame you for asking. But you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. Other than, other than focusing on what's happening now. And as Republicans try to push Judge Amy Coney Barrett through the Senate confirmation process, Pence pressed Harris to say if a Biden administration would expand the Supreme Court. Well, I'd like you to answer the question. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I'm speaking. Okay. Abraham Lincoln was up for re-election. And it was 27 days before the election. And a seat became open on the United States Supreme Court. Abraham Lincoln's party was in charge not only of the White House, but the Senate. But Honest Abe said it's not the right thing to do. Harris never giving a clear answer on packing the court. Today, the president 
took aim. This monster that was on stage with uh, Mike Pence, who destroyed her last night, by the way, but this monster, everything she said is a lie. It's despicable. It's despicable. It's so beneath the office of the presidency. And the American people are sick and tired of it. So let's get to Mary Bruce back with us tonight, covering every step of this campaign, all of this fast moving today. Both candidates tonight now making their own plans instead of that debate. On day one, Joe Biden will repeal that tax bill. He'll get rid of it. And on day one, I will repeal that tax bill. On day one, we're going to repeal that tax bill. On day one, we're going to repeal that tax bill. On day one, we're going to repeal that tax bill. On day one, it is my full intention to repeal that tax bill that they passed. On day one, we're going to repeal that tax bill. We need to repeal that tax bill. On day one, we're going to repeal that tax bill. So, one, it'll be about repealing that tax bill. On day one, we're going to repeal that tax bill. On day one, we're going to repeal the tax bill. And that part of that is going to be about repealing that it, tax It's bill. almost just... unfair. You know, my wife said last night we were watching Tucker before we went to bed. And we skip. I don't like when they interview the president, so I don't watch that part. I watch the beginning and the ending. And she said it's just so unfair how this all plays out because she's just now starting to pay attention. You know, she wasn't a political person. And I go, it's always been this way. It's so one-sided. Washington Post instantly Republicans continue attacking Biden-Harris over a hypothetical court-packing question. They're pouncing. Pouncing. The ratio is 882 likes, 2.2, what the fuck. Uh, Republicans pounce, Republican pounce. If by hypothetical you mean asking a candidate what he'll do if he wins, then sure, that's a hypothetical question. Every policy question is hypothetical, you fucking hacks. I mean, people got worked up on it because it is ridiculous, you know? This is a major thing. This is like getting rid of the ACA. Wasn't that the big thing in 2016? Well, if you're going to get rid of the ACA, what are you going to do to replace it? That was what our media was hung up on. But when the left wants to get rid of the filibuster electoral colleges, make two new states, and get rid of uh, impact SCOTUS... Oh, those are just hypotheticals. Just hypotheticals. Susan Hennessy. The story is the GOP reckless, desperate, destructive rush to confirm a nominee 13 days before an election, even if it means risking lives and letting Americans suffer. The story is not what how Biden thinks we should best brace for impact and Republican drive us off the cliff. And it is a journalist malpractice to indulge the why won't Biden say story while also ignoring the story of what Republicans are doing to jam through Barrett, despite overwhelming majorities of voters saying they should wait. I know the press is desperate to demonstrate they are tough on Biden, too. I don't even think that's a necessary bad instinct. Media should be tough on a front runner, But why won't Biden answer is lazy, embarrassing, both sideism. That's That's a journalist right there. That's a main... That is a big-time journalist. Big-time stuff. Just big-time stuff. How dare you ask a more important question? But she's a CNN National Security Advisor. What do you expect? New York Times reporter Camilla Harris told me last year she was absolutely open to packing. The New York Times' Alexander Burns, Senator Harris, told me in an interview, actually, that she was absolutely open. It's a soundbite. It's on YouTube. 
course she wants it. I mean, seriously, people, think about it for a second. How is that not a question? And up front, I wanted to hit this because I have the actual video. I mean, her the first thing my wife said is, She's a fucking bitch. Just smirking and smirking and smirking. I mean, she couldn't stop smirking. So what our media do it? Uh, Camilla Harris won't stop her smirk, nor should she. It's a black woman's superpower. People are telling Democratic Vice President nominee Camilla D. Harris stop smiling or smirking or making allegedly exaggerated facial expressions to save the breath. The California senator is not going to stop, nor should she. Why should she relinquish one of her innate superpowers? A smiling woman standing her ground and shoots a forceful look that requires a man to follow the rules. She only seems monstrous if progress is what you find scary. And then comfortably smug. Harris won't stop smirking. Time to take on the Covington smirk. The Covington. Opinion. Time to take on the Covington smirk. That was the same WAPO. That kid that needed to be punched in the face. Just punched in his fucking face because he was smirking. Who the fuck is he to smirk? Same people. Same fucking people. A teenage kid is a racist fucktwat because he smirks. But her, it's a superpower. Okay. Sounds good to me. Then we have, of course, Hanoi Jane. We can stop fascism. We are at a point where we can... This is a crossroads. It's an existential crossroads. And... And we are people who can help determine which way humanity goes. What a great gift. What a tremendous opportunity. We're just so lucky. We have to use it with every ounce of intelligence and courage uh, and wherewithal we have. Because you're absolutely right. This is it. This is it. And, um, you know, I just think... um, COVID is God's gift to the left. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this is a terrible thing to say. I mean, I think it was a very difficult thing to send down to us, but it has ripped the band-aid off who he is and what he stands for and what is being done to average people and working people in this country. We can see it now. People who couldn't see it before, you know, they see it now. And we have a chance to harness that anger and make a difference. So I just, I feel so blessed to be alive right now. You know, right now in our media, they are outright losing their shit because Trump said fuck on Rush Limbaugh. And and if we remember, we did a whole election on the fact that Sander Fluke was a slut because of Rush Limbaugh. But Hanoi Jane literally saying it's a gift from God to the left that the President of the United States almost died of COVID. That wasn't news. That's, that's not news. Because, you know, why would we say it's news? I mean, how 
in the actual fuck can the media be this biased? I mean, these are the things that you just stare at as an independent and go, you know, every time somebody on the left or somebody on Twitter or the way Google does their thing, when you suppress conservative media saying that it's so biased, yet this is our media. This goes for media right now. I mean, the reactions to this, I don't need to read. I mean, it's it's pretty fucking self-explanatory. The fucking right was like, are you fucking kidding me? But it's a drop in the bucket. Michael Dancino, um, he is a journalist, filmmaker, tinker, ex-BBC News, and former NBC digital exec. He brings us the right stag. Yeah, that's Air Force One with a propaganda movie from 1935. This is a real thing. And it's a lot on Twitter. It's fine. I split screen shots from Len Reifenstahl, 1935 night scene propaganda film, Trump will, of Triumph of Will, with real Donald Trump video of his return from the hospital. Not sure if this was intentional, but it's eerily similar. His media team looking to history for inspiration. I recommend watching the comparison for yourself. This link to the film was working until a moment ago. If it doesn't go back up, I'm sure it's available elsewhere. Worth mentioning that there are a collection of shots from Trump Triumph of the Will, meaning the White House's film is playing out in real time, but the shots on the right are scattered throughout the first 10 minutes of the two-hour-long propaganda film. Replies, wow, Matt, what a find. While no, I saw a mention of this by Dave Kerr on Twitter, and I just took 30 minutes to find the corresponding shots. Rather surreal. Wait, wait, wait. He just clipped together various bits for feature-length Nazi propaganda movies until it sort of lined up with the White House, Trump's return video. He really just sifted through Nazi propaganda until it was like, wow, tra- Hitler traveled by air too. And now to prove Trump's a racist, I shall spend an inordinate amount of time watching and editing Nazi propaganda. Checkmate, conservatives. I just feel like whatever I did didn't have to watch a bunch of Nazi propaganda is a real winner in this scenario. I mean, laugh my ass, laugh laugh out loud. Holy shit, the entire thing is just a AV version of you know who else insert action. Trump returned by helicopter. You know who else traveled by air? So he's enjoying wa- not watching Nazi propaganda, and all he had to do to make his point was watch a lot of Nazi propaganda. Apex Predator, Mitch Midnight is his handle. You are a fucking idiot. And that, my friends, is what I responded. Are you fucking shitting me? And that's a journalist. That that's that's what goes for journalists right now. That guy was employed by the BBC. He was employed by fucking uh, NBC. I mean, really think about it in election mode right now my friends right r-a-t 
N-O-W, right now, if an ex-janitor at Fox News composited pictures of Biden and pictures of fucking um, Hitler wearing the same suit, because somebody did do that as a joke, to respond to this idiot, because we covered his first, uh, everybody's a fucking Nazi bullshit, it would be on CNN. It would be in Seltzer's little whiny bitch fucking email. It would come because, folks, you, you no, 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 no. That's just fucking inappropriate. But here we have a guy literally sifting propaganda and calling conservatives Nazis. You know, it goes back to what we say. They project Biden's been coughing like crazy. I would not, I'd I'd bet a fucking pension check he's got COVID, but we'll never hear about it. If he got COVID, they could get away with not telling it. The media would be all for it. They'd be like, oh yeah, well, we didn't want to tilt the election. Just like the Durham probe, because we're about to go into Russia. We're going to hold flat to the election again. That's the game we're playing with Durham. But it never even got legs, because the reality is the media was like, What, Russia? There inside the White House and in isolation, the president also sending shockwaves through the economy, using Twitter to announce he abruptly ended talks with Democrats on an economic stimulus bill meant to deliver much-needed aid to Americans struggling in the pandemic, the market immediately tanking. President Trump accused House Speaker Nancy Pelosi of not negotiating in good faith. Pelosi fired right back, saying clearly the White House is in complete disarray. Now, President Trump said that he wants his party to focus on approving Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court rather than this stimulus. But this abrupt move angered even some in his own party. Alaska Susan Maine called it a huge mistake. The president's position, however, became even more confusing overnight as he suggested that he would be willing to sign a bill that would provide another round of checks to Americans struggling during this pandemic. But George Democrats have said they don't want to do this in a piecemeal way. They're looking to do a broader deal. So we're a little bit of a standoff here on where things stand. Yeah, he was all over the map, and it was part, as to see, of this this tweet storm, about 40 tweets he sent out in a two-hour period last night on all kinds of subjects. Yeah, as you said, all over the map, and by our count, over the course of the day, 65-some-odd tweets, everything from Hillary Clinton to Russia, blasting his own FDA. Now, you know this, we've covered this president for a long time. He's someone who craves the spotlight. He just is in isolation. That could be at play here, uh, but George Joe Biden responded by telling the president Get off Twitter. Get off Twitter. That was late. With 27 days until the election, America's top spy hunter is concerned about foreign efforts to influence the vote. He spoke out in a rare interview with our Richard Engel. Are you seeing any efforts ramping up from Russia or China to try and sway the election one way or the other that that Americans should be wary of? We're very confident that election uh, infrastructure and posture is very resilient. We're not worried about changing votes at scale, uh, but we are worried about influence of the American voter and the ability of the American voter to understand where they should get real information, especially when they're voting, how to vote, where to vote, be patient when you vote, be prepared. Bill Evanina says China wants Biden to win, while Russia prefers Trump. Is Russia putting out disinformation to help get President Trump elected? And is China actively engaging in a disinformation campaign to help 
uh, Vice President Biden? Yeah, they all are. And I would throw Iran in there as well. And Vladimir Putin, at the end of the day, wants our country to eat itself. He wants mass chaos here in the U.S., as does China, but not from economic perspectives. We see all three countries, Iran, China, and Russia, all engaged in enhancing and exacerbating protests on the West Coast. You said Vladimir Putin wants chaos in the United States, turmoil. Just go outside. Did he win? I think we right now are helping him facilitate uh, getting him to smile every day. The most important thing we could do this November and currently now is vote. It shows Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping and the Ayatollah that we make a determination who our elected officials are. Period. Evanina said foreign adversaries are also trying to dig up unflattering information about candidates, campaigns, and prominent Americans. The best solution, he said, is for voters to try not to be distracted by all the... Sandra Fluke. 47%. Grab her by the pussy. Those were a whole election cycles. We can't even get them talking about a faux scandal. Drew Holden, at some point we need to have a reckoning about the ways the Dems and media push the Russia collusion narrative absent any evidence and how they refuse to revisit it and narrative has fallen apart, just in case you've forgotten how bad it was. We'll have a start with Hillary Clinton, whose team invented this smear. All of, the, all of these were from before the election. The timing is important because we just learned today that U.S. intel was worried about Russia would use Clinton's concocted attack. And these are all from June, as I said on the show numerous time, June they started. Then you have Speaker Pelosi, who took the fabricated allegations and along with the rest of congressional Dems, whipped them into a firestorm until anything we've ever seen. One of the key voices in all of this was Schiff. And we're not, I've done too much Schiff. Clinton's running mate, Tim Kaine, ran with the allegation before the election. As a member of the Senate, he continued to push the Russian collusion. Will Trump condemn the Russian effort to influence the outcome of the election? Do we remember all this shit? He isn't on Twitter, but again, it's really hard to overstate the role of Harry Reid. CBS, ABC, NBC, they all went to Harry Reid and has been fucking, uh, well, he was Senate, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the Senate. One of my favorites was Ted Lieu. Suffice to say there were more Dems, but we've got other key players to get here. DCCC summing it up. Or perhaps the NRCC is hoping that maybe just maybe President Trump will once again ask for Russians' help in attacking our democracy. From the Dems' mouths to the media ears as ever, perhaps the worst booster of the Russian collusion was MSDNC, that including pushing Hillary Clinton's refusal to concede the election, and they had Peter Zork on. But the worst element had to be Maddow, who boosted every firing idea and story you can imagine. I've only got enough room for a handful. I'm not reading them. She wasn't alone at her program. Chris Hayes was on board. So was Jonathan Chait. For the most interesting, I got a whole thread on Russian assets since 1987 smear originally put out on paper by Jonathan Chait. But there's got a competitive competition even for their own outlet. Here's Joy Ann Reed, who never sees a left-wing conspiracy that she isn't interested in, with a special shout-out to Malcolm Nance. Don't the two go together? Russian influence would either have preceded any collusion or could be the result of guilty knowledge of it. He continues. <clears throat> you have to forget. 
You may have forgotten that CNN had three journalists who had to resign after a retracted story alleging a connection between Trump and Russia. They may not have been their worst reporting. Shout out to Chris Saliza. Yeah, that was a good one there. There was plenty more for the New York Times, Time Magazine, Donald Trump, many, 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 many ties to Russia. BuzzFeed News, who had to retract numerous stuff. For those interested, a full thread on Steele dossier as well as it imploded. As ever, the Galaxy Brain blue checks got involved. Judd Lagum had numerous. Kirk Eichenwall, Evan McMullen, Keith Oberman did a whole podcast on it for HuffPo. It was gigantic. And for a pause in this long thread, here's him now resigning from ESPN. Did you even know he was on ESPN? Trump can be and must be expunged. The hate he has triggered, the Pandora's box he has opened, they will not be so easily destroyed. So, let us brace ourselves. The task is twofold. The terrorist Trump must be defeated, must be destroyed, must be devoured at the ballot box. And then he and his enablers and his supporters and his collaborators and the Mike Lees and the William Barrs and the Sean Hannity's and the Mike Pence's and the Rudy Giuliani's and the Kyle Rittenhouse's and the Amy Coney Barrett's must be prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society while we try to rebuild it and to rebuild the world Trump has nearly destroyed by turning it over to a virus. Remember it, even as we dream of a return to reality and safety and the country for which our forefathers died, that the fight is not just to win an election, but to win it by enough to chase, at least for a moment, Trump and the maggots off the stage and then try to clean up what they left. Remember it, even though to remember it, means remembering that the fight does not end November 3rd, but in many ways will only begin that day. If they knew this was in the bag, you know, that's one thing you'll get out this whole thing, and I hate to keep repeating myself, but by the end of this podcast, ask yourself, do they really think they're winning? Because if they think they're winning, I hate to see what they do if they think they're losing, because it's a full court press. Drew Holden surmises, where's the follow-up from anyone at all about any of this? They have not covered it. The Russian collusion hoax has fallen apart more and more every day, and we haven't heard a word of the comment from any of the people responsible for pushing and helping fracture this country. If you aren't outraged by all this and the clear coordinated across multiple organs of the U.S. government, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to convince you to care that the POTUS has been undermined for four years by a malicious lie from his political opponents. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You don't need to be a fan of Trump to be outraged about a Russian collusion conspiracy. But it's a mark of your patriotism, your judgment, or your intellect if you aren't. Also, I've said this before too, but beyond just being perhaps the most defining political scandal of our time, the Russian collusion hoax gets under my skin because I bought it. I fell for it. And for my friends on the other side of the aisle and in the mainstream media, I beg you, pay attention to this. Treat this scandal with the same kind of anger you had at the collusion. Imagine how you will feel if a duly elected Democrat, say Hillary Clinton, had won an election, and then you saw her opponent in the media degenerate her for four years over allegations that were lies. How mad would you be? That's precisely how mad millions of Americans who think differently than you feel right now. And you're giving them a lot of reasons for anger. Try to emphasize, emphasize with that. Try to get at the truth. Also, if you haven't already seen, I've got a whole separate thread on just Carter Page. 
that's just what they do. That's what all these people do. That's what all these people do. What's Darcy doing? One of Fox's top straight news anchors said today that the document declassified DNI showed the previous administration had dirty hands on this. With eye rolls. Then you have uh, David Hirasay. Here's what I wrote back then. Uh, look at the many, many X. They were David Hirasay holds CNN accountable for pushing debunked scandal that fueled Russia. What the Facebook Cambridge Analytics scandal lacks is relevance. It sure makes up in the melodramatic rhetoric. Take Bloomberg, for instance, which reported the revelation of the parents' skullduggery that helped Donald Trump win the 2016 election keeps sending shockwaves across the political landscape. Well, it's partially true. Everyone is talking about the stories consume most of the mainstream media. The theory goes something like this. Facebook obtained information on users who took a personal quiz with their online friends, another outlet, and advertised firm Cambridge Analytic harvested that information, brainwashed a bunch of rubes, and then yada, 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 Russia. Former Cambridge Analytics contractor Christopher Wiley told CNN that while at the company, he helped build a psychological warfare weapon to exploit mental vulnerabilities that our algorithms showed that Facebook users had. So in words, he's working to advertise businesses. Those who have covered politics for more than a single Trump cycle should know better than to use this kind of unnerving rhetoric for what amounts to nothing more than an average micro-targeting, which had been used by hundreds, if not thousands, of firms. Yet now, when it serves to bolster convoluted theories about an election having been overthrown, terms like psychographics and breach are being thrown around to make it sound like someone hacked into voters' roles after boring into the deepest recesses of our collective souls. Molly Hemingway, read this, where David Harrisay has the receipts on how CNN, Jake Tapper, Maji Ranju, and Brian Seltzer pushed the Russian collusion hoax via the always stupid but now conclusively debunked Cambridge Analytics story. Look at how many maniacs are in pursuit of their anti-Trump narrative. Here is the piece from yesterday about the British finding no evidence of backing up the accusation that were widely disseminated by the media. ICO reports in Cambridge Analytics finds no Russia connection to Brexit and largely ineffective predictive analytics that were widely overhyped. He shows one, two, three, five emails of hundreds of tweets and stories from CNN. Maju Raju, Jake Tapper, Acosta, And then there's the icing on the cake. Adam Housley shares exclusive details suggesting possible cover-up of Clinton Foundation corruption by James Comey. Early in 2017, a retired senior State Department official wrote a letter to the FBI as a whistleblower. After he uncovered evidence, he said show classified info was being misused by the Clinton Foundation. Two weeks later, after he got no response, he walked into the places in the next few days. Again, it shows the pics. It shows power play in D.C. that cross party lines. You heard it first here. Oh, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. Let's do this right. Sorry. He walked into the FBI office in D.C. They had the tweets to transpose. To deliver intelligent info in person. This info intelligence was completely ignored by James Comey and Peter Zork. He also alleged he had proof of lying to Congress. He was not low level. You'll see this story in depth in other places in the next few days. Again, it shows the pick and choose power play in the D.C. that crosses party lines. And that surprises you. Why? Why would that surprise you? The Clinton Foundation is null and void now. It's gone. 
because that shit got out in the official Washington and people stopped donating. I mean, all you have to say is Somalia money and you have lefties calling you a sexist because nobody can actually show where did the Somalia money go? But what is our collective media? Nothing. They're not going to cover that in election year. And if Biden wins, it'll go away forever. You'll never hear it again. This democratic fascism in our media goes all the way to private property. Uh, that's, that's what I get for not trumping or not trumping, not prepping my podcast better. California authorities take down a giant Trump sign near highway that was on private property. L.A. Times. Giant Trump sign appears. It's will be taken down in Sepulveda Pass. The L.A. Times reports on a massive Trump sign on a hill near 405. Says the state authorities went to private property to take it down because they claim the political speech was a visual distraction to drivers. Praship Shakur. Ah, good. What do we care about First Amendment? As for visual distraction, the idiots let hundreds of protesters block that very highway during BLM protest. I hope some lawyer, Ron Coleman, had that property owner sue the plant off of whatever did this. I think he meant pants. The far left will annihilate the First Amendment if given the chance. Lauren Wonder, Chief Public Information Officer for Caltrans, told the Los Angeles Times the sign was on private property. For that reason, Wonder said Caltrans worker laid it down so it wasn't a visual distraction, but did not completely remove the sign, which was noticed about 7 a.m. This is a life and safety issue because there were concerns about distracted drivers. Robert Uthafun. I just hate when free speech becomes visual distraction for California government authorities. I'm sure they would have rushed out to tear it down had it been a Biden sign. Better take down that Hollywood sign, too, then Democrats are determined to shut down free speech. A vote for Democrat in 2020 is a vote for an authoritarian and ultimately a totalitarian state. If only there was some kind of historical data involving the distraction, this kind of sign, and they show the Hollywood sign. Mike Lachance sums it up. Do you think this sign would have been removed if it said BLM? Of course not. Of course not. They believe they can do whatever they want, and and you know what? They get away with it. So as we segue into the vice president debate, They simultaneously shut down fucking churches everywhere. While people can go out and loot, burn, stab, murder, just do whatever the fuck they want. Because we have another Kenosha. Because the shit didn't go the way they wanted. Media didn't cover it, though. There was no on-the-ground social justice reporters for this one. Because they don't want to hurt Biden. It's very interesting. But here's a gentleman talking about churches. That we just seem not to care about whatsoever and we'll go straight in you'll hear a brief pause and you'll hear snuffberg kind of start the theme of what this debate was about the church is essential hi i'm john MacArthur, and i am pastor of grace community church right here in los angeles and i have been for over half a century this is a church committed to the bedrock conviction that the Bible is the Word of God, and we, in obedience to that Word, have met together every Sunday for all these years. 
We have been protected by our government. We've been given freedom to do that. Today's current crop of politicians are trampling on the Constitution and on the resolve of citizens to demand their rights under the pressure of a manufactured fear. The reality is that the COVID data just doesn't match the government's COVID narrative. Here in the state of California, we have 40 million people. The people that have COVID now are one one hundredth of one percent, point zero zero one. You have a 99.999 chance to survive COVID. It's just not what they're saying it is. That absolutely does not warrant shutting down anything, but especially absurdly and arbitrarily, churches that have a special protection from the Constitution. Oh, and at the same time, leaving open abortion clinics, strip clubs, and marijuana dispensaries. And by the way, the health department is on record as saying they are going to allow riots and protests without regard for the mandated health and safety ordinances. This is obviously targeted discrimination. Leftists and secular government officials have no tolerance for biblical Christianity, so they're using COVID as an excuse to shut us down. We have to stand firm on the reality that the church is essential. The most meaningful, transformative, exemplary lives in a community all come together in the church. And that's been our impact on the city of Los Angeles. For 20 weeks, we had no ministry to children, young people, college students, young adults, families, no weddings, no funerals, no ministry to our precious disabled people, and no opportunity to make calls in the hospital to those who were sick. I started preaching to an empty auditorium, and uh, after a few weeks, our people started coming back because they didn't believe the narrative the local government and media were giving them. Week by week, more people came until finally we had about 7,000 people gathering for worship. The church is the original protester. We go back to the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago when the government was trying to dictate to the church how it should worship. This is a watershed moment in America. We have been granted by God the freedom to meet as a church and that is protected by the Constitution. We need to be the church, not only because we're free to be the church, but because we're commanded to be the church by the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. This is a time of all times to meet as the church. Open your church. The church is that to you, because obviously Mike Pence uh, is a former television commentator, does have a very calm demeanor. But I think a lot of people were noticing some mansplaining going on tonight. I don't know. I didn't see it that way, George. It didn't come across. So I want somebody to explain to me once again, how can we have mansplaining when there is no man, there is no woman? It's all a construct. Do we remember this? I mean, seriously, does anybody fucking pay attention to their own bullshit? Because, you know, even overall, they said, oh, he was talking so much. Pants had 35 minutes and 22 seconds of talking. She had 38 minutes and 48 seconds of talking. So that's bullshit. You know, what would we be? surprise this bullshit i mean i i come on this is this is our media but that was the whole purpose her smirking her 
outright lying non-fucking-stop with no fact-checking whatsoever. We didn't fact-check shit. And her able to just fucking give the fucking black lady, which, you know, it's not my words, it's theirs, the black lady smirk that's a superpower and blow fucking off any decorum, any respect for the vice president of the United States. Because once again, that's what we're going to be talking about. It is going to be the vice president of the United States. Oh, you can't do that. I mean, we are so fucking close to this election and them winning that, you know, hey, we we, we can't have them saying things. You can't. Nope, 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 nope. Nope, nope, nope. So we're going to just fucking drown it out with lies and bullshit. And then we're going to go back to business as usual. And business as usual, it's a Democratic president. It's a Democratic vice president. And who are you to say anything about them? They are so fucking good. They are so fucking righteous. They're doing what the American people think. Oh, really? I, I, no. The first lie of the debate was Camilla Harris. COVID-19 a hoax. He never said it. Snopes, Trump did not call the coronavirus itself a hoax. That's all I have to say. It took her two minutes to say that. But there was no, none whatsoever fact-checking on that. And before we get into all the media reactions... And it's a mute point now, because by the time I do my podcast, they've canceled the debate. This is the second debate moderator. Remember, that moderator for the VP, the first one was a Biden aide. This one that we just had was a lady writing an autobiography or a biography on Nancy Pelosi. And Steve Scully, he was a Biden aide also. And he wrote this, this all started when the scheduled moderator of the second presidential debate, a debate is now in question, C-SPAN political director Steve Scully directed a comment to former White House communication director turned anti-Trump activist, Anthony Scarmucci. Scarmucci, should I respond to Trump? Ignore, he's having a hard enough time, some more bad stuff about to go down. C-SPAN, what the fuck is going on? This is interesting. Moderator for second presidential debate, a former intern for then-Senator Joe Biden, and former staff assistant for late Senator Ted Kennedy, talking to Scaramucci. Yikes, dude. This isn't a DM. This is public Twitter. Sean Davis, former Biden intern and second POTUS debate moderator Steve Scully, a C-SPAN, appears to be coordinating with Trump hater Scaramucci, whom Trump fired about having to attack Trump. Not a great indicator of impartiality. Asking Scaramucci, wow, recruit yourself in the debate immediately. A.G. Hamilton, wow. Scully was set to be moderator for second debate. Not a great look. GOP spokesman, of course, took it all over the place. But C-SPAN comes back with, last night, a tweet from Steve Scully, C-SPAN political actor, uh, director, appeared on his timeline communicating with Anthony Scaramucci. Steve Scully did not originate the tweet and believes his account has been hacked. The Commission on Presidential Debate has stated publicly that the tweet was not sent by Steve Scully and an investigation with the help of authorities. When additional information is available, we'll release it. Everybody, do you really think lying is the way to go here? 
All they had to say is their guy screwed up and they're finding a replacement. But they wouldn't be capitulating to Trump somehow. So they have to make fools of themselves and say this. Stephen Miller. C-SPAN says they are involving authorities. Which authorities? Will they update on the investigation? Who are the authority? Molly Hemway. And a sea of admitting bad possible explanations. This one is such an outlandish and unlikely one as to require far more than assertion without any evidence. So I guess we'll have to say Anthony's account was hacked too since he responded. Was the hacker's name Shmeev Mully? <laughs> They even went on TV and told people it was hacked. It wasn't real. There's so many articles on this. I won't cover because it, it doesn't matter anymore. But this, this is what we have. Media firefighters fall over themselves to defend this. Karen Tomilty, as anyone who watches C-SPAN knows, Steve Scully is a fine and fair journalist. One of the very best. Matthew Dowd, agreed. Larry Sabato, Beyond ridiculous. Steve Scully is eminently fair. Anybody who watches C-SPAN knows that Trump obviously doesn't spend time there. Not enough bile for his taste. Jim Heath. Day after day, my friend Steve Scully sits on C-SPAN and listens to every single opinion in America. I've told him often, I don't know how you do it. Pretty amazing. A random tweet goes out. And the right wing immediately has, if coordinated, goes after him. If Chris Wallace had tweeted... An anti-Biden person? Do you think that would be called pouncing? Ralph, Ethan Ralph. This has nothing to do with the hack. But Steve Scully is probably one of the best journalists in Washington. Great dude. Watched him for years and watched the journal. Joe Lockhart. Fact. If Steve Scully says he didn't send it, you can take it to the bank. Uh, Anyone online is vulnerable to hacking. Steve Scully is a real journalist. Remember those? I want to see Scully hosted as presidential debate, no matter how hard Mega wants to stop him. Julian Zeltzer, Glenn Kessler. Come on, everyone knows that Steve Scully is the calmest, most decent, least partisan person ever. Ron Christie, for my two cents, Steve Scully's a great guy. Josh Marshall, call Steve Scully a never-trumper. It's kind of absurd comedy. Sam Stein, the idea that Steve Scully is some sort of sleeper, never-trump partisan act is among the most absurd campaign meta-stories ever. Molly Hemingway. I'm not as cozy with him as y'all are, and I'll give you props for not insulting anyone as intelligent by pushing the hacking claim. But any word on why he was tweeting a rabid anti-Trump activist? Anybody? I accept Steve's... This is Anthony Scaramucci, which is... He's such a great person now, because he hates Trump. I accept Scully at his word. Let's not cancel anyone, people, from our culture for absolutely something like this. It's insignificant. He's an objective journalist. Eddie Zipperer. I haven't counted, but it seems like Steve Scully has way fewer journalists vouching for his integrity this time than he did last time. I apologize for Saturday's tweet regarding weight loss, etc. I still have my day job at C-SPAN. Darn those hackers. I apologize for some earlier tweets. Account was hacked. Those tweets did not come from me. Why does the left always get to go with hackers? Why? Why is hackers... Okay, does anybody know why you can say hacker over and over and over? And I started this section on just the moderator, how bad the moderator is. I mean, James Wood, how did Camelia Harris know that VP Pence's answer was a good segue into the next question if she didn't already have the question beforehand? Here, here's the piece right here. Let me get the volume up. Thank you, thank you, Vice President. 
fighting for free and fair trade and all of that's on the line if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You know, that's a good segue into our third topic, which is. That's a great segue because she knew. I mean, folks, we already know CNN handed out fucking questions in the last debate. We know that. That is fact. So, of course, she knew what was coming. Elizabeth Harrington, before we play the moderator, Funkle, and you can hear this. I mean, I'm just going to play it because it's just obvious. She was a liberal. CNN just said she didn't get a lot of help from the moderator. Whoops. Are moderators supposed to help the Democrats? Yeah. They always do. Do we remember the one with Romney? Where that big fat chick from CNN is no longer employed? Oh, no. Governor Romney, you're wrong. Uh, President's right. I mean, folks, if you're older than 20 and you paid attention, everything goes in cycles and the media pretends that normals don't remember. But we, we said Bush wore an earpiece. And so it was a thing for Biden, but our media said, oh, that's just fucking ridiculous. And we've watched too many debates to know these fucking people are crooked as shit. When it's election time, they will do anything to get a Dem elected. So as we go out to our first break, we're going to play the moderator sound bites, and it's pretty obvious she was on Kamala's hand, Camelia Kamuja. I don't give a fuck what her name is. We'll listen to Ain't Talking About Love, and you're going to come into the media. It didn't matter that she lied, that she had no substance, that she didn't answer any questions, that she basically looked horrible and got trounced by any fuck. I mean, here's... This is USA Today, all right? This is supposed to be... They they own every paper. Who won the vice president presidential debate? Harris, Biden, the fly I didn't watch. So then they had to fix it. Who won the presidential debate? Harris, Pence, the fly. And remember, this is the USA Today. 60.9% said Mike Pence. They were trying anything to spend. They were hoping people would say the fucking fly. Because that was the thing. The fly. The sitting vice president during the debate. Now, you probably assumed it was just a house fly. Oh, no. According to some of our experts on cable news on the other channel, something much more sinister was afoot. Something spiritual, perhaps. We'll review the evidence with Adam Carolla next. You may have seen a small insect land on Mike Pence's head during last night's debate. If you thought it was just a common housefly, you were mistaken. According to this character on MSNBC, it was in fact a sign of demonic possession. I mean, I don't think it's ever a good sign when a fly lands on your head for two minutes. You know, that's a 
That's a sign all through history of sin. A fly, he who commands the fly, has always been seen historically as the mark of the devil. Now uh, I have to that- ask for the record, are you joking? Because uh, it, the fly could have landed on anyone. Yes, but it didn't. It landed on Mike Pence, and it, and it says something. It says something. It says, hold the wine with dinner before TV hits. But does it say something else, something deeper, something spiritual? For that, we go to Adam Carolla, our resident expert on the occult, and of course the host of the Adam Carolla Show. We're happy to have him tonight. Adam, thanks for thanks for joining us. You saw the fly descend on Mike Pence's head. What did you think? Well, I had a couple of thoughts. One is I thought I'm glad it didn't land on Joe Biden because it would have taken him down. Joe Biden would have collapsed under the weight of that house fly. Number one. Number two, I was also glad it didn't land on Kamala Harris, because if it would have landed on Kamala, CNN would have labeled it a hate crime. So I was happy that both those things didn't happen. Now, if it had landed on Nancy Pelosi, I think it would have just crawled in one ear and walked out the other. We're going to be having Susan Page on the show this morning. Uh, I thought she was fabulous. I was frustrated when Mike Pence kept going and he was not stopped. When we had this problem with the last debate, when Trump just rolled over everybody and took over the debate and made it into a circus, I was surprised she wasn't able to cut his audio or stop him in a more fervent way. I'm going to ask her about what the sort of the technicalities of that was. I was frustrated when Mike Pence kept going when you tried to wrap him. And I know that there were discussions after the first debate to kind of keep the candidates under control, keep the overtalk under control. Were you not given the technical ability to cut his mic? I did not have the technical ability to cut his cut his mic. Uh, and I'm not sure how that would have worked if I'd, I'd had it. When you speak about the Supreme Court, though, I think the American people really deserve an answer, Senator Harris. Are you and Joe Biden going to pack the court if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed? I mean, there have been 29 vacancies on the Supreme Court during presidential election years from George Washington to Barack Obama. Presidents have nominated in all 29 cases. But your party is actually openly advocating adding seats to the Supreme Court, which has had nine seats for 150 years If you don't get your way, this is a classic case of if you can't win by the rules, you're going to change the rules. Now, you've refused to answer the question. Joe Biden has refused to answer the question. So I think the American people would really like to know if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States. Are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864. Well, I'd like you to answer the question. No, yes. Thank you, and, and Senator Harris. People, Susan, are voting right now. They'd like to know if you and Joe Biden are going to pack the Supreme Court if you don't get your way in this nomination. Let's talk about packing. You once Come again on. gave a non-answer. Joe Biden gave a non-answer. <laughs> trying to answer you the now. American people deserve a straight answer. And, and if you haven't figured it out yet, the straight answer is they are going to pack the Supreme Court. Senator Harris, and I'd like to pose the first I'd like you to respond first to the question on our final topic, the election itself. President Trump has several times refused to commit himself to a peaceful transfer of power after the election. If your ticket wins 
and President Trump refuses to accept a peaceful transfer of power, what steps would you and Vice President Biden then take? What would happen next? You have two minutes. On Monday, the Senate Judiciary Committee is scheduled to open hearings on Amy Coney Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court. Senator Harris, you'll be there as a member of the committee. Yes. Her confirmation would cement the court's conservative majority and make it likely open to more abortion restrictions, even to overturning the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling. Access to abortion would then be up to the states. Vice President Pence, you're the former governor of Indiana. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, what would you want Indiana to do? Would you want your home state to ban all abortions?
Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reed. I think it was part prosecutor, part fact check, part presidential interview. At the same time, she allowed uh, Vice President Pence to be rather evasive and not necessarily answer the questions as he was asked. 2016, there was an analyst who said that the the VP debate at that time, the matchup was like Miracle Whip versus mayonnaise. I think that that was not what we got at all tonight. I think that Kamala Harris was rather spicy. And fortunately, this was more about policy than it was personality. It's all over social media during the debate. Uh, A lot of people noticing that Mike Pence appeared to have some kind of pink eye. What did you notice? Well, George, you're not going to be surprised to hear me say this, but of course, no one can make any diagnosis over TV. But what do we know about ocular or eye manifestations in COVID? It has been reported, even though it's limited in the medical literature, that anywhere from 11 to 30 percent of COVID positive patients can have pink eye. It can be an early sign. But George, he also could have just had some makeup in his eye. You have a reporter and a woman candidate, and both of them you're interrupting, both of them you're attacking. Not a good sign. Sarah Fagan, let me bring that to you, because obviously Mike Pence uh, is a former television commentator, does have a very calm demeanor, but I think a lot of people were noticing some mansplaining going on tonight. I don't know. I didn't see it that way, George. It didn't come across to me. It was also uh, somewhat maddening at times to see both of them avoid answering uh, basic questions and and, and not really seeing enough of a follow-up, but especially Mike Pence. And anybody, as I know you have many times, who has interviewed Mike Pence knows that he has uh, an amazing ability not to answer a direct question. I think actually one of the headlines uh, coming out of this debate, George, is going to be the remarkable split screen that we saw and some of the facial expressions that Kamala Harris had as Vice President Mike Pence was talking. I mean, that really that really is, is going to be a big takeaway. Good morning, Jim and Poppy. Yeah, I mean, it's extraordinary to think that these cases are still happening when people are actually voting, that some of these laws could change. Now, it's not entirely surprising that Democrats are starting to face an uphill battle after some early victories. You have to keep in mind what we've seen in the courts in the last four years. I mean, President Trump and Senate Republicans have confirmed more than 200 judges many of them sitting on appeals courts, and that's what you're starting to see now. Uh, So let's start in South Carolina. Democrats had argued that this witness law that you just mentioned was dangerous in the time of pandemic, and that eventually it would lead to a burden on the right to vote. The Supreme Court said no, mostly. Now, what that means is that they will allow anyone who voted with those ballots coming in within two days of the ruling to still not have a witness. But you have to remember, 8,000 people in South Carolina have already voted. So it's unclear how many ballots this is going to affect. Uh, Take a look at Georgia. Now, this was a federal appeals court. This was a blocking of a lower court ruling that would have allowed Georgia to continue to count absentee ballots for three days after the election, as long as those ballots were postmarked on Election Day, obviously no longer. And then we'll look at Texas. As you said, we saw those drop boxes earlier in the week. There have been quite a few cases in Texas. And this one, uh, this was about straight ticket voting, which is that idea of voting for one party or another. Democrats had tried to overrule a Republican ban, trying to get some kind of uh, momentum with Joe Biden's popularity there. But no, again, blocked. But I do want to say one thing, which is voters need to pay attention in their own state to their own laws because they're different everywhere. And we are getting very close to the election. 
Uh, thanks, Wolf. Well, I have to say, I think it was, first of all, a normal debate, <laughs> a regular debate, not an emotionally abusive session with, a, with, with somebody who's a, a little unhinged. Uh, both candidates got in some, some punches. I thought Senator Harris was, was effective when going after uh, the administration's record when it came to COVID. Uh, obviously, uh, I thought Vice President Pence uh, going after Biden's record and, uh, and, and attacking Harris is, uh, on the fringes of her party, which, as we expected, I think there will be a lot that Republicans will be happy to talk about when it comes to his performance. It was more standard. Uh, you know, there is, I think, a disparity uh, in terms of some of the unanswered questions. Both of them did a lot of dodging. Harris wouldn't answer the question about the court packing, um, and, and that's significant, and Biden and Harris should answer it. But on the other hand, Pence wouldn't answer the question about why the U.S. death rate from COVID is so much worse than any other wealthy country, and he wouldn't commit to a peaceful transfer of power. So while they both dodged questions, I can't help but think these ones that Pence dodged are somewhat more significant. And I can add another one to that that's very significant. He wouldn't answer how a second term of the Trump administration would preserve pre-existing condition uh, promises uh, that is under Obamacare, which they're trying to, to, you know, do away with in the court. I agree with you. Our, our hearts are racing a little bit uh, less right now than they were last week. This was uh, much more civilized. But it was really uh, stunning to see the way Mike Pence pivoted almost at every question, not answering the question and not going back uh, to to actually follow up on the question. Kamala Harris was more um, respectful of the questions and tried to answer the questions. I'm not sure if that got her anywhere. I do think at the end of the day, Mike Pence did what he needed to do, maybe and then some, and same with Senator Harris. Yeah, I mean, I think if we, as we all have covered Mike Pence, we know that this is his superpower as an interviewee. He often just completely disregards the question and answers the way that he thinks yep. is uh, best. But in the context of this debate, it really did create this imbalance between the two of them. And I do think that Harris missed some opportunities here uh, to to push back at, at, at opportunities when uh, Pence Pence took them, even when it wasn't his turn. And then he was given time to uh, to go over by 30 seconds here, 45 seconds there. I mean, these are technicalities, but in the moment, what it means is that. You got you felt like you got more talking yeah. time from Pence. And, and, as, yeah. and as interviewers, all three of us, it, it was definitely frustrating to hear the question and then not hear a follow up when both of them, but much and more. Mike Pence didn't answer the question at all. Went to completely in a, in a different direction. And so something also that I think we can't ignore is is the concept of gender. Um, and and we're, we're so used to seeing white men, mm -hmm. but definitely men on the stage when it comes to being on a ticket. Uh, Senator Harris is only the third woman to be on a ticket. The first one was in 1984 with Geraldine Ferraro. Then we had to wait till, I'm sorry, she's the fourth. And then 2008, Sarah Palin, uh, 2016, Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if a woman candidate feels like she can't push as much or well, steamroll as much as, say, Mike Pence can for fear of seeming mm -hmm. uh, and offending some segment of the electorate. I'm not saying it should be that way, but I'm wondering if it is that way. Well, I'll tell you this, and Abby, I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, I was texting with uh, a friend who is an African-American man saying, do you think that she's uh, kind of letting some things go uh, in a way that maybe she shouldn't? And the answer was, are you kidding me? 
you know that she's a black woman. She has to kind of pull her punches on that. And I'm not sure if that's true. I mean, she was tough and she certainly had her moments. Uh, But there were times when maybe there could have been more follow up. And I don't know if that's something that was going through her head or not. I hope it wasn't. You know, this is something that I'm sure, you know, for every woman in politics and particularly black women, there is this line that you have to thread. You know, I was also texting with people close to her, you know, who looked at this and kind of felt like Pence was taking advantage of the rules of the fact of the fact that he was able to just flout them. Mm -hmm. And perhaps she should have pushed back in certain ways. I think that that's where debate prep comes in. There are ways to do it uh, in ways that don't sort of present in a certain way. But this is a line that and I think if, if it does anything, apart from the fly being hilarious, and there'll probably be lots of memes about it tomorrow, I think the one thing that it could do is cement Donald Trump's biggest problem. His biggest problem is with women, with suburban women. Mm-hmm. And every woman who's ever been repeatedly interrupted in a meeting, who's ever not been allowed to finish a sentence, who's had uh, a man refuse to follow uh, the rules... Um, and just blow past whatever the norms and the, you know, the sort of guardrails are supposed to be when then you attempt to do the same are mowed down. Just watch Mike Pence do a softer version of what Donald Trump did last week. Mm. He repeatedly interrupted her. He demanded, well, he also repeatedly interrupted the other woman in the room, which is the moderator who seemed to at some point lose control of him. And he also continually demanded that Kamala Harris answer his questions. She wasn't there to answer his questions. Hmm. She was not there to do whatever it is that Donald, that Mike Pence told her to do. She was there to talk to the American people and answer Susan Page's questions. And she continually would look at him when he would do that and say, I'm talking. Mm-hmm. And she would speaking. give, yeah. I'm speaking, and give that look that everybody with a black mom recognizes <laughs> was usually the prelude to a problem. <laughs> I recognized it. I think everybody recognized that she was Mamala in that moment. Uh, and I think that look and that moment and that sequence of events was very bad for Donald Trump. The problem tonight is that Vice President Pence appeared flaccid and anemic, and that's going to hurt him with men. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only people that they still had in their coalition after last week's barn burner from Trump were, were the, the, the sort of grievance voter that is a, a very vocal and animated part of the Trump base. This performance will not land well with them. The only time he sprung to life tonight, and I wonder if, you know, they're, they're, the social media and the background conversations with people in contact with and in Trump orbit are all about whether or not it's the steroid rage or just Donald Trump, you know, feeling grumpy about the polls that's driving his performance. I think there, there are going to be questions about whether he's not feeling that great after this performance. Uh, because low, low, you think low even for him, the, this isn't just even his style? For, the only time that he came to life was when he prosecuted Senator Harris for not answering his questions. Right. And again, he hadn't yet responded in full to a single question from the moderator. And I do think that a lot of the reason it came through as mush is because we had the structural issue of Pence constantly droning on trying to drag everything over and steamrolling uh, both his opponent and yeah. the moderator in terms of when he could speak and him being soporific while he was doing it. Very low energy, droney, talking pointsy, um, condescending and in other ways that it's just unappealing and as you say flaccid. Yeah. And, and that's not what they needed. I mean, they yeah. needed him to come out because here's the other thing that's on voters' minds, real people. What if Trump takes a turn for the worse and this yeah. guy takes over? He had to look presidential tonight and he just looked limp and lame.
And Gail, many people are wondering why Mike Pence was even on the stage. If you listen to the CDC rules, you're not even supposed to be in contact with other people when you've been exposed to someone who has coronavirus, which we know the president does. I kept thinking, I wish there were thought bubbles so we could see what they were each thinking, because many times, more on Mike Pence's side, I have to say, where he didn't answer the question, he would pivot to something else. There was at one point where uh, Kamala, when he was asked a question directly about social distancing, and at the White House, at the White House Rose Garden, you could see Kamala's face like, yeah, now what are you going to say? At one point when they were talking about systemic racism, I think it's very interesting timing that a fly would land on Mike Pence's head at that particular time when he said that there really wasn't systemic racism. I saw the fly basically go and say, what? I mean, it was very interesting. That was, a, I don't want to call that a highlight, but that was certainly a memorable moment. But Mike Pence was masterful. You may yes, not agree with anything this administration does, but in terms of his debating style, he repeatedly did not answer the question that was posed to him. Our team was following it very closely, and the vice president, Mike Pence, interrupted Senator Kamala Harris twice as often. She interrupted her. The vice president interrupted Senator Kamala Harris 10 times during this debate when suburban women are certainly a key uh, constituency. Does that matter or the content of, of what was said certainly in this debate is that issue? I want to bring in Nicole Killian. Well, I think people understand if you want to finish a thought. I think everybody gives you a pass on that. But many times he went, finished that thought and then kept going. A few times I was thinking, this is a very long two minutes. Is there a highlight? I would have to, I, I still keep going back to that fly. Because, you know, number one, I've never seen anything like that. It was a fly of color, too, that came at a very, very opportune time. And that is a Saturday Night Light skit, skit waiting to happen on Saturday. That fly. I, I had to play that fly with uh, Steve Schmidt. I forgot I had that soundbite, so I had to shove it in there. But you can expect it. I mean, listen to Chuck Todd. I thought Kamala Harris got off to a little bit of a slow start, but I thought she really um, uh, got her sea legs, got comfortable and got strong. And look, Mike Pence did a lot of evading and deflection. Um, he was dealt a tough hand, as we said at the beginning, with the virus and where things are. Um, and look, I think there are some in the Trump campaign are going to be pleased with how he deflected uh, and how he ev evaded. But there are going to be some people who are frustrated about the constant uh, amount of time that Mike Pence avoided answering a direct question. Well, I think that Kamala Harris really did warm up and hit her points on white supremacy, on climate, certainly on COVID, pre-existing conditions. She managed to get through and speak directly to the camera and was a very effective debater. Mike Pence was effective in defending President Trump and dodging the questions, an artful dodge, if you will, because he didn't respond to the failures of the coronavirus task force that he leads, which have been very well documented by insiders, by the audio tapes from Bob Woodward. Kamala Harris, with a smile, pushed back on Mike Pence's repeated talking over time and interrupting her. She was sort of very deft uh, and, and careful to uh, when she said, hey, you're interrupting me. It's it's my turn to speak. She was careful about it. And the style with which she did that seemed uh, practiced, but also familiar to those of us who have covered her on Capitol Hill. It's one of the ways she's effective in this way. The central question tonight was, does Kamala Harris, the candidate we haven't known, 
facing the biggest audience of her life. Did she look and sound like a plausible president and vice president? The answer, at least from my point of view, she sure did. She passed that test. As for Mike Pence, people know him. He kept interrupting his moderator, a woman, and his opponent, a woman. Some may. Um, but, but, kiddo, I want you to just take a look, okay? You don't have to agree. But I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to Practice. There's no question I'm in favor of banning fracking. So, yeah, and, and, and starting. When you talk about accepting the outcome of the election, um, I, I must tell you, uh, Senator, your party has spent the last three and a half years trying to overturn the results of the last election. It's amazing. When Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, the FBI actually spied on President Trump and my campaign. I mean, there were documents released this week that the CIA actually made a referral uh, to the FBI documenting that those allegations were coming from the Hillary Clinton campaign. And, of course, we've all seen the avalanche, the, what, what you put the country through for, for the better part of, of three years until it was found that there was no obstruction, no collusion, case closed. And then, Senator Harris, you and your colleagues in the, in the Congress tried to impeach the President of the United States over a phone call. And now Hillary Clinton has actually said to Joe Biden that under, in her words, under no circumstances should he concede the election. So let me just say, I think we're going to win this election. President Trump and I are fighting every day in courthouses to prevent Joe Biden and Kamala Harris from changing the rules and creating this universal mail-in voting that will create a massive opportunity for voter fraud. And we have a free and fair election. Uh, we know we're going to have confidence in it. And I believe in all my heart that President Donald Trump's going to be reelected for four more years. You know, I've... Uh... I wonder if a woman candidate feels like she can't push as much or well, steamroll as much as, say, Mike Pence can for fear of seeming mm -hmm. uh, and offending some segment of the electorate. I'm not saying it should be that way, but I'm wondering if it is that way. For the record, they are the racists. All right. They are the racists. Because if you're making excuses for everything somebody does because of their sex, which once again is not supposed to exist, and they're raced, and it just it just astounds me that they get away with it. Our liberal media getting away with just excusing away everything. You can be honest. That was garbage. All she did was smirk and be a snotty bitch. And even non-politicals like my wife said, she's just a fucking bitch. That's what they said. I know she's a white woman and she can't say that, but she did. And then you go, I mean, it just, the whole thing is a farce, you know. So this next one going away with Steve Scully, probably better because what is it going to do? They're just going to lie. Here are just some of the stuff. I, I could have spent hours on the VP event. Out of 26 post-VP debate analysts on cable and broadcast TV, only two people supported Trump. Two. Drew Holden. Kamala was full of it. Drew Holden fact checks the fact checkers. Re-upping this thread for the presidential debate fact check the fact checkers. Senator Harris repeated a number of objective, objectively wrong points including on fracking, the Green New Deal, the both sides smear, and more late last night. 
First, the Green New Deal. Bottom line, both Biden and Harris support the legislative priorities underlying the Green New Deal. NBC News fact check. Biden says the Green New Deal is not my plan. His plan borrows heavily from it. These are all things because they're trying to protect them because they know the rabid base that they need all 99% of black and Latino and gay people. They don't get those people. They don't win. Next, the both sides slander about Charlottesville. Bottom line, as Pence pointed out, this isn't true. It has never been true. And it's egregiously that the media still doesn't correct this. They don't. Russia bounties. Bottom line, there's no evidence to support the existence of Russian bounties. NBC News, New York Times, Washington Post. Next, SCOTUS vacancies. Bottom line, Biden and Harris pushed for a seat to be filled when they had the control of the appointments. Next, fracking. It's all lies. Nothing to do with gender. WAPO Megan McCardle gets painfully honest about Camelia Harris' debate. Megan McCardle, who isn't a conservative. I wish people would stop explaining every mad debate performance by a woman as a function of gender. Yes, there are challenges, but Elizabeth Warren is a good debater. Not all women are great debaters. Being held back by their sex, some of us, like some men, are just bad debaters. Mike Pence is a good debater. Full of nonsense, but a good debater. See, got to get that in or she'll get killed. And you didn't see him over ever over there rolling his eyes and doing exaggerated high school theatrics. This is my disdain face mugging. Harris' X chromosome did not force her to do that. Nor did Harris' gender force her to leave points on the table. She left them on the table because she wouldn't think of good response quick enough. Stop grading us on a curve. We can make the grade. See, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. But we don't. And th- and once again, this is a lady that couldn't even make the grade for Democrats and dropped out before they started voting. Is hated by black people, as my son and a uh, fucking libertarian says, put 5,000 or some crazy number of people in jail for exaggerated marijuana charges. Then Megan McCain, or Megan Kelly, sorry. Maddo, Pence tries to steamroll Harris and the moderator, and instead he looks again flaccid. N. Wallace, he looked limp and lame. Steamroll, limp and lame? Good Lord, the hatred is overwhelming. Nicole Wallace, VP Pence, appeared flaccid. Oh my God, I'm done. Joy Reid saying Mike Pence interrupted continually, and everyone knows what it's like to have that happen over and over. She was Momola in that woman, and it was very bad for Donald Trump. Gail King, it was very telling that a fly landed on Mike Pence's head when he was denying America's systemic racism. The fly was like, say what? That's what we call journalism nowadays. Mary Catherine Ham busts Camilla Harris, victim of mansplaining. Matt Walsh, Pence dominated Camilla so thoroughly and convincingly that the media-only available tactic is to accuse him of being a sexist for debating a woman at a debate. These people are such clowns. It shows Kathy Yen, Dan Rather, uh, ABC's George Snuffleupagus, S.E. Cup, Pence mansplaining, interrupting, condescending, and general smartassness is at, is at an 11 tonight. No wonder suburban women have left the Republican parties. Andrea Mitchell. I asked a man I know what he thought of the debate. He said the debate was over when she said, Mr. Pence, you're interrupting me. Mary Catherine Ham. According to all these official time counts, at worst, Harris got equal time, CNN, and at best, three minutes more than Pence, ABC. 
If that's ranked sexism and mansplaining, give me those odds any day. I get it. We're making a narrative here. But the numbers suggest it's not accurate. Popular. Sorry, my computer went crazy. Uh, popular retort. But she only caught up in time because she started talking, taking time after she realized that that's what the jerk Pence was doing. Great. You know what that sounds like? A debate. Sounds like she can handle it, guys. Don't make excuses for her. Daily Caller. 90 minutes of dodging questions punctuated by a fly. That's it. Independent pollster. Voters turned off by condescending Harris. Pence was the winner. But on Twitter? No. Once again, Jill Pelvivic. Everybody. He mansplained. Charlotte Clymer defends Camelia Harris, claiming certain men don't like women in power. Charlotte Clymer. There is no woman, and I mean no woman, who could have done better than Camelia Harris tonight. There is indeed no woman, including Camelia Harris, who is going to win over a certain portion of men. Your male buddies who thought Pence won, they don't like women in power. Somebody responded. Tulsi Gabbard, are you memory-holing where she murdered Kamala? She did. That pretty much was her out. That was the end. <clears throat> Jill Pilikic, Pofilipoff, the sexist, hates men. Every woman knows a condescending sexist man reportedly calls you by your name as a way to be disdainful and patronizing when it's talking to you. And I don't know what the term for that is, Bill, but it is a thing. And Mike Pence is doing it to Susan Page. Liberal reporter brutally gashes Camilla Harris' disaster, disastrous debate. Mike Tracy. Liberal. Reminder. Kamala was hyped as a front-runner in the 2020 Dem primaries, flamed out in spectacular fashion, partly due to her terrible debate performances, and only because VP nominee thanks to an extensive lobbying effort by Dem professionals and donor class. If Joe Biden wins this election, it'll be in spite of Harris. Awful debate performance and awful VP choice overall. The Russian bounty story was manufactured. The idea that Trump has practiced isolationism as president is a load of nonsense. The way Camilla says I'm speaking as if any back and forth is what's supposed to be a debate as some kind of a front reminds me of an excessively domineering teacher in middle school. Kamala's incoherent on China is embarrassing. And it goes on and on. And that guy's a lib. On and on. But you couldn't hear that in our media. The Federalist. The VP debate shows the Biden-Harris ticket has no policies because they don't talk about them. But the squad does. Oh, yeah. A group of progressive, including freshman squad, unveiled their new version of America on Thursday that will serve as a rallying cry for the election and a roadmap on how to push Pence. I'm sorry, Biden. Biden. The Working Family Party People Choice call for free public health care, universal child care, creating millions. Sorry, this is playing and I don't want it to play. Um, creating millions of green jobs, canceling student debt, a $15 million wage, a 15 minimum wage, $15, sorry, and shifting money away from police departments and towards investment in schools and communities. One of the plan's backers, Roe Conan, said the agenda will be a legislative blueprint for what progressives in the House will push during a Biden-Harris administration 
The aim is clear agenda that progressives in the House will advance focus on these big items. We will push for Medicare for all during the pandemic. We'll push for creation of a million of good jobs and communities left behind. And we'll advance and hold vision to tackle climate change and have a livable planet, which is the aspiration of the Green New Deal. I expect at least 80 to 100 Democrats will support the basic principles of the agenda. The release of the ambitious liberal policy agenda comes in shadow of debate where Kamala Harris, seen by the left as a lifeline, distance herself from progressive policies, including the Green New Deal, which she once co-sponsored. Progressives have accepted the fact that neither of their preferred candidates won the election, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, and Biden has a more moderate choice, but some saw the choice of Harris to push their agenda. But in willingness, Wednesday in the debate, Vice Prince abandons it, has made people upset. Fracking is bad, actually, AOC. And you go through this, and it's everything we've talked about, so I'm not going to waste your time. It is just bullshit. Over and over, bullshit. They don't talk about their policies. They refuse to talk about their policies because they and their media, and once again, that's all our media, know that nobody but 18% of the country is actually for the crazy shit these goddamn moonbats want to do. Nobody wants the Green New Deal. Nobody wants to pack courts, including Biden. I can play you a soundbite from last night of Biden himself saying when FDR did it and Ginsburg, who we're supposed to believe everything she says and carry it out after her death or else we're all sexist pieces of shit, said when FDR did it was horrible. But somehow now, the media who has no intellectual honesty won't push the issue. They just won't push it. They're not even going to bring it up. They're going to ask that question and they're going to take the Twitter criticism that they're going to get now and literally drop it. While they simultaneously completely ignore the extra state, the filibuster, the no borders, no police, no ICE, drastic gun measures with no fucking grandfather clauses. I mean, they have not, they didn't even report that bill. They just said the House passed a sweeping uh, gun safety regulation. That was the words they used. It wasn't gun safety. It was gun confiscation and severe limitations on the Second Amendment. But they didn't talk about that. They didn't talk about any of this shit. And they're not going to. They believe the polls. They think the polls are correct. They think that America is 10 points more for Biden, which I just don't see. And I'm I'm getting flashbacks to 2016 where I was told over and over to just go ahead and give up my gun now because I'm going to lose this shit. They're going to come to my house and arrest me if I don't give it up. I mean, for fuck's sake, people, how can we have an election and not talk about policies? Oh, I know, because they want him to win. So we're going to go into our narrative now. 
Listen to this interview from CNN. When the media becomes part of one party, no longer have news, we have Final question. You mentioned in your video that you disagree with many of Joe Biden's policies, but that in your view, this is a question of character. Tell us what you mean by that. Absolutely. You know, I I like the the vice president, okay? But some of the things I I would say, oh, I don't think so, and and so on, And, and, and we'll disagree with them. Okay, and if he's president, I'll say I like this one, but I don't like that one. But Mr. Trump, he's he's really I, I don't know what's going on with our our people. You know, um, it's really sad for me to say that mm. policies will come and go. That's okay. That this is. Yeah, that that's you could tell it's narrative, folks. When we're just we're just making shit sound so good for the left, and if you hear snorting and stuff, I got the wolves with me today. They're down in the basement. It's a rainy day, so we start with Joe Biden laying out his most comprehensive reason why you should elect him as president. I will embrace hope, not fear; peace, not violence; generosity, not greed; light, not darkness. I'll be a president who appeals to the best in us, not the worst. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. But once again, not policy. There's no policy. Next one. Did the Hill just indicate the blatant unconstitutionality of Joe Biden's agenda in one headline? Supreme Court could threaten Biden's agenda. That's an article. Put another way, Biden's agenda could be unconstitutional. That's their article. And then we covered the black thing, where he said some black people stocked my groceries. And somehow that's not racist. To the replies that keep coming on it, what in tarnation? This is why you have to let the man speak. He's a pro. Don't deny that Joe's a pro. Uh, It's uncomfortable every time he opens his mouth. He just can't learn. You ain't black unless you stock my grocery shelves. (laughs) But once again, in narrative, calling Sandra Fluke a slut was a whole election. Saying that, not a whole election. Not a big deal at all. Doesn't mean anything. To the dodging. Reporter, voters want to know what you would do as president. That's exactly what they want to talk about, so we don't. He, he says this. Listen. 
Pittsburgh's Action News 4 viewers are not shy about letting me know what they want me to ask you. One thing they want me to ask you is a question that came up during the debate, and that is, if you're president, would you seek to increase the number of U.S. Supreme Court nominees? You know, that's exactly what they want me to talk about, so we don't talk about how they're violating the Constitution now. I'm not going to play Trump's game. Right now, my fo entire focus is seeing to it that the American people get a chance, the elections already started, to have their say in who the next Supreme Court justice is. And uh, that's what I'm focused on. How are they Really? So that's what they want to talk about, but I'm not going to talk about it. Mama D, he doesn't want to tell us his plan. Then he's caught lying or he loses votes. It's a lose-lose for him. It's true. This is what's, you know, this is what's so crazy about this. If you really want to go back to the Tea Party, remember a movement of normal Americans going out in the street with signs and not killing people and burning shit, but they were all terrorists, astroturf terrorists. The media was playing all day long that, oh, they're beholden the Tea Party. They The Tea Party, the Tea Party. We never talk about the squad. That's what this is all about. They really don't give a fuck what you think because they're going to present it in a simple way. Do what the fuck we say, period. They're scared of that 18%. If they say what they're going to really do, they might have that 18%, and they need the 18 fucking percent. That's what it's all about. Next one. President Trump, your party wants to go socialist, and they're going to dominate you, Joe. You know that. Joe Biden, I'm the Democratic Party right now. Trump, not according to Karen Harris. Joe Biden admitted clear last night that he is a Democratic Party. He acts like he's a moderate who will control the radical left, but the reality is the exact opposite. It is the radical left who controls Biden. Just look at his own words from the debate. This is Dan Crenshaw. Democratic Party is now a party of abolishing the filibuster and packing the Supreme Court with liberal justices. Biden wouldn't even answer the question about whether he would support the policy. Democrats are now the party of the Green New Deal. Joe Biden says it's not his plan, but he defended it last night, saying it would pay for itself. And if it if it isn't his plan, why does it why does he praise it on his website as crucial framework? Because AOC is his energy advisor. Biden believes Green New Deal is a crucial framework. Democrats won't condemn Anafar and even admit they exist. Biden was clear he agrees with them, downplaying the group just as sparked riots and destroying businesses. Idea. This is the same rhetoric I pushed back against with the FBI director. Biden also wants to raise taxes dramatically. He bragged about $4 trillion in new taxes and oddly claimed that's... That'll lead to economic growth. But one study found his plan would lower after tax incomes for everyone, including 1.4% of the middle class. When Joe Biden says, I'm the Democratic Party, he's right. This is the party of socialist policies, higher taxes, take over health care, and excuses for violent mobs and Antifa. And Joe Biden represents them all. And they're right. He fucked up the other day on the stump. Not talking about it in the media. Biden says he'll make abortion law of the land of Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. So basically what he's saying is, I don't give a fuck what those people say. I don't care. 
I'm going to do what the fuck I want because I'm Joe fucking Biden. And should we be surprised with that? He was a vice president to Obama, Mr. Pen and fucking cell phone. I got my Blackberry and my pen. I'll do what the fuck I want. Once again, if you're winning in all the polls, why must you obfuscate everything? And why are liberals making videos like this? I'm naked. I'm completely butt-ass naked. I'm naked. I'm like naked. There isn't a man behind me. These are my hands. Why you want me to be naked? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Ruffalo, um, put your clothes on. To be honest, I wish I could cover my hands with my boobs, but here we are. I'm here to talk to you about voting. Did you know that ballots could be naked? And if you don't do exactly what I tell you, your ballot could get thrown out. This is uh, my ballot. Just got it. First of all, when your ballot comes, you're supposed to read the instructions. Read and follow the instructions that come with your ballot. If they say to use a black pen, use a black pen. I know that's like literally the least sexy thing a completely naked person could say, but... But I have crumb like a can of Pepsi. Is problem? Number two. <laughs> In some states like Pennsylvania. 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 There are two envelopes you have to stuff your ballot in. Otherwise, it's called a naked ballot. Naked ballots. <gasps> and you don't want to have one of those. Number three, mail your ballot in as soon as you can. Don't sit on them. Get those things out ASAP. Like now. Do it. Get it in as soon as you can. I got to get my ballot to the mother post office. Let's go. Please vote. Take your clothes off and vote. Vote, vote, vote. Everyone's voice matters in this election. Please vote. America needs you. now this celebs including sarah silverman tiffany haddish and chris rock are stripping down to bring attention to naked ballots encourage voters to follow vote by mail instruction they've resorted to stripping naked to get people to vote why are liberals so fucking weird um twitter safety people are sending to that alert your eyes amy schumer in hollywood get butt naked for mail-in ballots Well, let's talk about all this mail-in, because it's so important to the left. Every fucking podcast I've talked about voter fraud, voter fucking misfalfeasance, we printing shit wrong. Here's another one. Man caught on video stealing mail ballots from California mailboxes, and he was a Biden supporter. See if I can play it. Fox 5's Jacqueline Sarkeesian is live from where the theft took place. Hi, Jacqueline. Hey there, Maria. Yeah, we just got done with an interview with one of the victims who had his ballots stolen. This neighborhood, for the most part, it's called Summer Creek here in Escondido, is very safe. That's according to one of the residents. So he was very surprised to find out that someone was going through his mailbox and several others in this neighborhood. Now, take a look at this video. This resident surveillance camera 
captured this incident. So you can see a man who's wearing a baseball hat. He has a mask on and black gloves, walks behind two cars parked in a driveway. He goes straight to the mailboxes and steals the mail, including ballots that are inside. This happened on Tuesday just before midnight, which just so happens to be one day after ballots started being mailed out to registered voters. I did speak to the homeowner, like I just mentioned, whose cameras captured this incident. He says that a neighbor down the street later found a pile of mail on the trunk of a car in front of her house. She saw the addresses on the mail, later returned it to the rightful owners. Resident says about three homes total had ballots stolen, but nearly 20... And media didn't touch that. U.S. Postal Service mail carrier arrested for dumping mail, including numerous ballots. Nicholas Bouchain, 26, of Kearney, New Jersey, is charged by complaint with one count of delay secretion or detention of mail and one count of obstruction of mail. 627 pieces of first class, 873 pieces of standard class, two pieces certified, and 99 general election ballots. Ohio, 49,669 incorrect absentee ballots sent out in Franklin County, Ohio, says election board officials. Nothing to see here. Voter fraud is totally not going on and not going to happen. No worries. Trump should blindly accept any and all election results with daily stories like this. Yep, 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 yep. But narrative. It's narrative. We're not going to talk about the reality. We're not going to tell you the truth on this shit. Why would we? Why? They can't stop the narrative. Here's Snuffburger. I'm going to put you to the test. Here's a question my kids ask me all the time, and I do my best to answer it, and they're never satisfied. How come the person who gets the most votes in a presidential election doesn't win? So I think it's important to understand the Electoral College by going to what it's based on, which is the number of senators and representatives in each state. And it's also important to know how those representatives were counted back when the Constitution was written. So apportionment was based on free people counting as one, uh, people who were serving for a fixed amount of time counting as one, Native Americans who weren't taxed counting as zero, uh, and all other persons counting as three-fifths of a person. And what the effect was was that slaveholding states had more power in choosing a president. And Virginia, for example, had the most enslaved people at the time the Constitution was written, and four of the first five presidents were from Virginia. You just so it perfectly was illustrated the problem. Does it have to change? <laughs> I think it should. I think, you know, what is uh, unique about the Electoral College for the United States is that we're the only country that elects uh, uh, our leaders in such a way. So I think it's, uh, it's overdue for a reform. We have failed. We have failed at tackling COVID. And we can learn how to do it better. And the best way you do that is look at people who got it right. The first thing is to acknowledge that we, we, we screwed this up. It's not just Trump. This has been a large systemic failure. But from that lesson, you can then start to ask yourself, what can you do better? We are not still in the learning mode because we're still in the denial phase. I know you're right that it's not all President Trump's fault, but you're pretty tough on President Trump in the book as well. Can you imagine this country doing the things we need to do if he's reelected? Um, no, I, I think that uh, President Trump is in denial. I think that part of it is also, George, and I talk about this in the book, you have had a movement for the last 30 years that says 
government is bad. The federal government is the problem. The federal government is the source of all evils. You have people like Grover Norquist saying we want to drown, we want to get the federal government so small we can take it into a bathtub and drown it. Well, if, you, if you're trying to drown and starve and, and destroy the federal government, guess what? When you have a pandemic, it's not going to work very well. There's mainstream media pushing everything the left wants every weekend on his show. And somehow, that's okay. Then they push other narratives, because once again, it's next election season. We, we can't stop. The Hill. Watch second lady Karen Pence join VP Pence without a mask. The entire world goes, what the fuck, Chuck? They're married. They're together like 24 hours a day. Wh- what the fuck? But they have to keep the COVID because they think the COVID is a winning thing. So now we're on COVID and Trump's meds and it makes them crazy. I mean, Christina, as Julie points out, President Trump is um, inconsistent and impulsive on a good day. Yeah. Okay. And so now, given that he's on steroids, we think, given that he's still fighting the virus, it's impossible to know what will happen today. And we have... Regular people coming up yeah. who are hanging on by their fingernails. What do we tell them today? Perhaps it was the steroids talking. And uh, I'm not joking, actually. Perhaps it was the steroids talking. Studies have shown that one out of three patients, uh, COVID patients, have impaired mental capabilities for quite some time. We This mix of steroids and, and, and other treatments. Uh, and there's one warning after another on all of those drugs that it could cause mental impairment. And he- the whole cocktail of drugs that, that the president has been taking, you know, the, raising the question of whether or not that has some sort of impact on his decision-making. I, I, just, I just wonder, uh, because I think any doctor that understands the impact of COVID on the mental health of patients, the drugs that he's taken, with the steroids that he's on, any, anybody. But have you heard any discussion uh, from Republican staffers, off the record from Republican legislators, uh, from, from any Republicans in Washington, D.C., that they are at least concerned about a president acting irrationally uh, with the nuclear codes. Uh, mm. not, not, not that, let me restate that, that the president who has the nuclear codes, uh, that that. They are concerned about a president in this mental state uh, being able to run the country. Well, I don't think I have to speculate, Joe. The New, York, the New York Times has reported that there are White House officials who are concerned about the president's uh, current, current mental status because of the drugs that he's taken. Joint Chiefs quarantining, that mm-hmm. adds a layer of concern to this um, that is particularly problematic. Um, he's not expected to spend any time soon in the Oval Office or over in the West Wing. But his doctor also said yesterday, Dr. Conley, that he wouldn't be restricting the president either. The and pre- that, that, Jonathan, right there is irresponsible on the doctor's part. Um, Americans deserve to know. And the people who have been around the president, including his opponent, Vice President Joe Biden and his family, they've all been near President Trump for the debate. And when he first tested positive is a key, key question This doctor was less than honest. He was the worst liar out there I've ever seen, quite frankly. Dr. McShady. Because honestly, any any, any honest doctor would say he is leaving the hospital today. He's not out of the woods uh, yet. 
We disagree right. with his decision to leave, but we will support him medically as best we can, and then we will uh, make sure that there is a transition to a good medical situation at the White House. But we actually do not think he should be leaving well, a hospital situation well, and, and, and walking and, around without a mask. And this, what's the cost of telling the truth? What's the cost of going out and sharing with the American people the president's medical condition specifically. What is the cost of that? If the president fires you, okay, you go back to your job with the respect of other doctors and of your colleagues. I'm especially troubled by this week's news. I mean, think about the way it feels wondering whether you can trust the president's doctor to be telling us the truth, right? I mean, he represents the White House, the military, and uh, medicine, three of the institutions we should be most able to trust in moments of crisis. And yet, uh, Americans are wondering whether we can believe uh, anything we're hearing about the president's condition, when the president was diagnosed, and it speaks to that bigger problem. Can you imagine that about Obama? I can't. Salacious text, Nets cover up Dem sex scandal and North Carolina seat. Former Vice President Joe Biden wasn't the only Democrat candidate the broadcast network was actually protecting. In North Carolina, Democratic Senate candidate Cal Cunningham suffered a possible sinking blow to his campaign against incumbent Republican Tom Tillis after his text exponing his extramarital affair became public. Finally, but in a week since no flagship news station, ABC, CBS, or NBC has dedicated a single second to it. Fox covered it. The Senate race in North Carolina has a Democrat up in the average of polls, but again, the past few days he changed dramatically because it's being sidetracked by a sex scandal and his polls are going down. So what did our media do? Saliza spin Democrat Cal Cunningham sexting scandal a bit too early to get serious about. The Dems, Dems Senate candidate, blames the GOP over the sexting scandal. It's Tillis. Tillis did it. So something major like that. If a Republican candidate for Senate got busted for sexting, do you not think that'd be front page news? But like Katie Hill, we didn't cover that. She sexually harassed a lesbian. And then the COVID... Because I'm just bouncing around in the narrative section today. This summer, it was obvious that America's COVID response has fallen behind tragically incomprehensibly behind Europe. That is no longer the case. Spain, France, and UK all have more cases per day. But we don't talk about it. We talk about stuff like this. After more than 100 years, Dryers is changing its popular Eskimo pie ice cream bar to Eddie's pie. Or we're talking about Rolling Stones revamps 500 greatest albums of all time to focus on diversity and inclusion. Or we're talking about ABC sets new inclusive guidelines for primetime. On September 30th, ABC Executive President of Development Content, Simar Sethi, released a new list of standards regarding on-screen talent, creating leadership set workshop and industry representation. She wrote broadly, we want to take this moment to evaluate systems and habits and effort to remove barriers to access and opportunity. It's important for us to look around the room and see who's not there and then take the steps so that they are there. What this really means is less whiteness and more affirmative action. The actual guidelines proves as much regarding their new policies for hiring actors, crew members, and even producers. 
For on-screen representation, the standard requires three out of five areas in fulfillment. One, 50% of regular and recurring characters to be underrepresented groups. Bye, Goldbergs. Bye-bye. You're fucked. 50% of regular and recurring actors to be underrepresented. Meaningful inclusion of underrepresented groups as secondary or more minor screen individuals. Meaningful inclusion of underrepresented groups in overall things and narrative. Meaningful inclusion of underrepresented groups in episodic themes and narratives. So a show like the Goldbergs, which is one of my favorites, gone. It's an 80s show. They're going to have to have gay shit, transgender shit. I mean, how? That wasn't an 80s thing. Or we're talking about this. Climate gentrification threatens Miami's last affordable housing. That's CBS News. And as none of it, none of it is based on fucking reality. But as we ignored sexting and we ignored all the policies... A lot of time was taken up on this Whitmer shit. So I'm going to play the media soundbite, and then I'm going to play the ringleader of the kidnapping plot, who's supposedly a Trump supporter. What should the president be saying right now? You know what? A decent human being would pick up the phone and say, are you okay? How's your family doing? That's what a decent human being does. That's what Joe Biden did. And I think it tells you everything you need to know about the character of the two people that are vying to lead our country for the next four years. You've said the president is complicit with the extremists. Well, anyone who uh, gives safe harbor to or encouragement to is complicit. Each time he has tweeted about me, each time that he has said liberate Michigan and said I should negotiate with the very people who are arrested because they're good people. That incites more domestic terror. As a country, we have a choice between an incredibly decent human being and Joe Biden and, and what we've seen the last four years. We need someone who can unify us. We need someone who can lead us through these tumultuous times and find common ground. And that's why I'm proud to support Joe Biden. Do you think the president um, understands the power of his, of his words when he speaks this way, that people it, people may hear his words very differently than he intends them to be? Um, I don't know if he doesn't understand the power of his words uh, or if, if he does very well understand the power of his words and he's trying to incite some sort of chaos or anarchy that, frankly, these groups thrive upon. Um, but either way, you know, I guess my message would be uh, to him and to any other elected leaders that sort of traffic in this sort of rhetoric to understand the power of their words. And uh, when they say these things, people not only listen, but they respond. And so some of the things that I've heard the president say over the course of the last several years, um, especially at the debate even last week, I, I would say I think that it's not just a dog whistle, but sometimes even a rallying cry for these types of organization and these types of individuals who are very bad actors uh, that seek to harm others and uh, damage, frankly, American society. Attorney General Dana Nessel, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We appreciate it. Just last week, the president of the United States stood before the American people and refused to condemn white supremacists and hate groups like these two Michigan militia groups. 
Stand back and stand by, he told them. Stand back and stand by. Trump is not your friend, dude. And it's it amazes me that people actually like believe that when he's shown over and over and over again that he's a tyrant. Every single person that works for government is your enemy, dude. No, Trump is not your friend, dude. And it's it amazes me that people actually like believe that when he's shown over and over and over again that he's a tyrant. Every single person that works for government is your enemy, dude. Not a single cop has arrested another cop for violating his oath. The only time you can find a good cop arresting a bad cop is for, like, drunk driving or something like that. You know? And even then, they're so light on them, and, and half the time they get away. They get away with it. Alright? This is a violent gang, okay, that has each other's back, and they're organized, all right? You need to understand that, because if you want freedom, you need to know who the people are that are taking your rights. If you can't, if you say, I want freedom, but you're supporting the people that are taking your freedom away, you're not going to get freedom, man. You gotta know who the enemy is, alright? They rolled that shit out and then it just went away because everybody on the internet just had to go find this guy's positions. And there he is, he's an anti-Trumper and he was talking in front of an anarchy sign. But yeah, that's a right-winger. Yeah. It's not that people in her state are sick of her shit and she was overturned by her own Supreme Court of going beyond her constitutional abilities and then telling that Supreme Court to suck a fat cock and ignoring their outcome. Yeah. Now, that has nothing to do with it. It's not that lefties and righties fucking hate that lady. No, no, no. It's right-wingers. It's the Proud Boys again. Which segues nicely to our violence. So we're going to do a break. We are going to listen to Tucker and Professor Hansen. I've tried to get a soundbite of Professor Hansen for the longest time. And I finally got one. So that's where really why I'm playing this. Because it's he's just so articulate. The guy just wraps it up nicely. And we'll listen to um, uh, Van Halen. What are we listening to? Unchained. Yeah, we're going to listen to Unchained and we'll come into our violence bumper because once again, we got violence in Kenosha. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Did you catch the VP debate last night? If you did, if you saw it, you've got to think the Biden people are beginning to regret picking Kamala Harris for the ticket. Maybe on paper, Harris made sense as the old guy's running mate. Apparently she did. But on stage, not appealing, to put it mildly. Unless you enjoyed being lectured in school by substitute teachers who tried to mask their insecurity with aggression, you probably don't want four more years of that. Even 90 minutes of it was hard to take. The good news is we did learn at least one important new thing from watching. We learned how Democrats plan to use identity politics going forward. We already knew that identity politics is an effective, maybe the most effective way to get Democrats to the polls in an election year. That's why they do it. 
What we learned last night is that identity politics has a bigger purpose. It is the justification that Democrats will use to tear down our centuries-old system of government and replace it with one-party rule with themselves in charge. The evidence came toward the end of last night's debate when Mike Pence asked Harris what the moderator didn't ask but should have. Does she and Biden plan to pack the Supreme Court of the United States? Does the Biden administration intend to convert our third branch of government into a partisan super legislature with lifetime tenure? It's a pretty simple question. It's a vital question. Political courts are the hallmark of banana republics and dictatorships. We don't want that here. Yet for weeks, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have refused to say what they will do if elected. So last night, Pence pushed again. Here's what happened. Are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? Joe and I are very clear. The American people are voting right now. And it should be their decision about who will serve on this most important body for a lifetime. Thank you, and, and Senator Harris. People, Susan, are voting right now. They'd like to know if you and Joe Biden are going to pack the Supreme Court if you don't get your way in this nomination. Court. Yeah, Thank let's you. talk about packing the court then. Let's talk about the Please. fact. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to. And do you know that of the 50 people who President Trump appointed to the Court of Appeals for lifetime appointments, not one is black? This is what they've been doing. You want to talk about packing a court? Let's have that discussion. Wait a minute, you might ask. What does court packing have to do with the number of black judges on the federal circuit courts of appeals? Those seem like completely unrelated concepts. Was Kamala Harris trying to dodge the question? Unfortunately, she was not dodging it. She was answering the question, and she was answering it honestly, believe it or not. If she and Joe Biden win next month, they will indeed pack the Supreme Court. They'll justify doing that in the name of diversity. They will tell you the Trump administration is racist for not selecting judges based on the color of their skin. They'll tell you that nine is a very racist number of Supreme Court seats. In fact, it's a number some dead white guy came up with a long time ago. See, it's racist. They'll tell you we need to diversify the court. And of course, that means a supermajority of partisan Democrats. That's what they're going to tell you. For now, they're not telling you anything, though. Joe Biden repeated that position today. You'll know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now, look, I know it's a great question, y'all, and I don't blame you for asking. But you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. Did you hear that? Has any presidential candidate in history ever used that line? You feel like all lines have been used before, but this one? I can't answer your question because if I do answer it, everyone will talk about my answer. What does that even mean? Truly, we have no idea what it means. But we do know that none of this is going to stop with the Supreme Court. This summer, Barack Obama used a funeral service to tell us that the filibuster is a relic of Jim Crow. It's a racist procedure. Any Senate procedure that limits the power of the Democratic Party is, by definition, racist. That's the new standard. Identity politics is the most powerful political weapon they have. Don't take it at face value. There's a purpose for it. And of course, identity politics is also a handy shield. We saw that repeatedly last night. At one point, Pence pointed out the Democrats have attacked Amy Coney Barrett for the crime of being Catholic. That seems out of bounds. How did Harris respond? She responded by describing herself as a person of faith. 
first of all, Joe Biden and I are both people of faith. And it's insulting to suggest that we would knock anyone for their faith. Oh, come on. A person of faith now? How? What exactly does Kamala Harris worship apart from power? Honestly, we'd like to know. If you know, tell us. She seems like the most secular candidate ever to run for national office. That's not an attack on her, by the way. Plenty of decent secular people. But it's true. Not that truth matters in this case. For the purposes of last night's debate, Kamala Harris identified as a person of faith, and that's all that matters. The progressive left understands race and gender, and yes, religious faith, as means to an end. They're identities. They don't have independent meanings. They are tools used to win arguments and achieve power. Kamala Harris cycled through various identities last night. I'm speaking, she barked again and again when Mike Pence tried to respond to her. In other words, I'm a woman. That's why you're interrupting me. The vice president said when asked, well, why didn't y'all tell anybody? He said, because the president wanted people to remain calm. Well, let's get so to I, that. No, but Susan, I, this is important. Susan, I, and I, I, I want to add, if, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I have to I'm speaking. In. Joe Biden has been very clear. He will not raise taxes on anybody who makes less than $400,000 a year. He repeal the Trump tax cuts. Uh, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I'm speaking. I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864... I'd like you to answer the question. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I'm speaking. Democrats thought that was appealing. What world do they live in? They must have, because already you can find T-shirts and mugs online with the phrase, I'm speaking. Obviously, it was planned. Kamala Harris's many allies in the media were impressed, too. They knew exactly what Kamala Harris was really saying. I'm a woman. And they were unanimous in their conclusion. Mike Pence, who's been married to the same woman for 35 years, interrupted Kamala Harris because he's a sexist who hates women. She was not overly assertive throughout this entire debate. Well, well, Pence, I mean, many, Pence, Pence, Pence was, ran, a, was a man, mansplainer in chief. I, I get Mr. Yeah. Mike Mansplainer all I night. I understand that. Mm. He repeatedly interrupted her. He demanded, well, he also repeatedly interrupted the other woman in the room, which is the moderator who seemed to at some point lose control of him. You have a reporter and a uh, woman candidate, and both of them you're interrupting, both of them you're attacking. Not a good sign. But I think a lot of people were noticing some mansplaining going on tonight. He kept interrupting his moderator, a woman, and his opponent, a woman. Some may feel that that showed lack of respect. Well, uh, let me start with Pence. He was patronizing, which drove all the women crazy. Mike Pence, who was mostly polite, but did interrupt and did do the guy thing of demanding and getting more time to speak than the woman. Oh. So as a scientific matter, the category women doesn't really exist. Neither does the category men, because gender fluidity is real. You can choose your gender. But women are also simultaneously so different from men that you have to treat them in a completely different way or you're a bad person. Are you following this? And if you do that, you're mansplaining. That's what they told us on TV last night. What kind of adult uses the term mansplaining? Get some self-respect. And by the way, think it through. Why did no one accuse Donald Trump or Joe Biden of mansplaining when they repeatedly interrupted each other at last week's debate? Whatever. When a man interrupts a woman, 
it must be sexism. There's no other explanation. In order to treat women equally, we have to treat them very differently from men so as not to disturb their delicate sensibilities. It's insane. And if the consequences for this country weren't so serious, it would be amusing. But they don't even follow their own rules, which makes sense because their rules are incoherent. Last night, the same people who denounced Pence as a sexist went on at length about Kamala Harris's charming, girlish smile. Kamala Harris, with a smile, pushed back on Mike Pence's repeated talking over time and interrupting her. So did you notice the smile that was on her face all yeah. the time? when she? And that's hard when you're getting interrupted constantly. Every shot Kamala Harris, when she's looking at him, would smile. Wow. She had a smile on her face far more than, than Pence ever had a smile on his face. Come on the other hand, she was strong, she was in command, and she had a hint of joy. You sense that there is joyfulness in her spirit. Obviously, these are partisans. Obviously, these are people who are projecting their own sad, empty, hollow personal lives onto the rest of the country. No matter what they're doing, though, it's just too stupid for a great nation. At one point during the debate, Mike Pence, to his credit, tried to elevate it a little bit, talk about something that actually matters. The habit we've all fallen into of thinking of each other as members of categories rather than as human beings and as individuals, as creations of God. That's how people of faith think, by the way, Senator Harris. Whatever they're calling this kind of thinking right now, intersectionalism, identity politics, critical race theory, systemic racism, whatever, it's terrible. It's a cul-de-sac. It will wreck the country. So Mike Pence tried to make that point. No, he said last night, the police aren't systemically racist, whatever that is. This is a fundamentally good country. Now, that's a conversation that would be worth having. That would be edifying. That does mean something. But the media ignored it. They spent most of the night talking about a housefly that landed on Mike Pence's forehead. At one point when they were talking about systemic racism, I think it's very interesting timing that a fly would land on Mike Pence's head at that particular time when he said that there really wasn't systemic racism. I saw the fly basically go and say, what? I mean, it was very interesting. It was very interesting. What you have here, what you have so often, is yet another unhappy rich lady complaining about oppression. No wonder the American population is so desperately unhappy. Look at who's leading them. The most privileged in our society never stop whining about their own lives. It's unbearable. In fact, if we're being honest about it, and this was one bright spot from last night's debate, some annoying behavior aside, it was a pretty respectful affair, all things considering, considering we're three weeks out in the most intense political year of our lifetimes. There were a handful of minor interruptions, as you would expect, but for the most part, both of them, Pence and Harris, kept to their time limits. In fact, they spoke roughly for the same amount of time last night. That's worth noting, maybe celebrating. And yet for our media class, the main takeaway was still that Mike Pence is a sexist. And by the way, there was a fly on his forehead. We definitely deserve better than that. The presidential election is a little over three weeks from right now. We still have no idea who's going to win. But no matter who does win in November, there's one thing for certain. This country desperately needs a better class of leaders in charge. These people are ridiculous. Victor Davis Hanson is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. We're happy to have him on tonight to assess what we all saw. Professor, thanks for coming out. What, what did you make of that debate? Well, we, it was pretty clear what their strategy is, and you hit on a lot of the points is that 
they're going to talk about race and they're going to talk about Trump as a mass killer and that means they're not going to answer any questions about fracking, a new green deal, or packing the court, or who they would appoint, because they are elite leftists who have made a bargain with desperate hardcore socialists, and are not allowed to speak that. Even AOC kind of is in the deal. She's had a little anemic tweet and said, actually, fracking's kind of bad. So they know where they're allowed to go and where they're not. And, that, and that, they take kind of a cue from Barack Obama, a guy who went to prep school, grew up in an upper middle class, uh, his grandmother was a bank official, and then he told us he was part of the underclass and he had been a victim of racism and then he was actually a moderate he was going to balance a budget he wasn't going to let China be in debt we weren't going to be in debt to China anymore uh, he said that he was opposed to gay marriage he was going to close the border and we know where that was he had the most liberal voting record like Kamala Harris almost in the Senate so we know what they're doing they won't talk they won't discuss and then what's the tactical manner in which they carry out that strategy I think it's tripart they're going to stay in seclusion because they feel that these polls are accurate and they're going to do a run out the clock and not get any controversial statement and then play because they're not authentic people play as if it's good old Kamala who grew up in Oakland when actually her parents were PhDs she lived a pretty privileged lifestyle and good old Joel from Scranton a working class guy who became a multi-millionaire after five decades in government and they're not going to come out and they're not going to say anything thing that's controversial. Joe, you, that quote from Joe Biden proved that. And then second, they're going to outsource this to the media and the Pelosi Democrats. So every four or five days we're going to get that Donald Trump insulted the war dead or he didn't. And they were all encapsulated in Kamala Harris's talking points. Or he didn't bring up the assassins uh, with Pat Putin who were after our, our soldiers in Afghanistan. Or Trump called the, the uh, coronavirus a hoax, which we know even liberal fact checkers have rejected. Or he said something at Charlottesville and that, that's going to be and right before the coronavirus struck Trump we were in the Melania's uh, trusted friend actually taped her phone call that was a three-day psychodrama and now it's Nancy now it's the turn of Nancy Pelosi today say 25th amendment he's crazy and so that's what the media's role is and then and then you can see finally these I'll be frank Tucker the the moderators have a have a modus operandi. They always have the gotcha tr uh, question for Trump. Didn't you say something about not accepting uh, the election? Didn't you say something at Charlottesville? Didn't you? And then to the other side, it's uh, we're not going to ask you anything about you ain't black or you insulted an African-American journalist and call him basically a junkie and a cocaine uh, user or why, Kamala, did you call Joe Biden a rate? No embarrassing questions like that. So yeah. that's what they're hoping at. And then it, it begs the question, what's Trump to do about this? When he's, it's a 360 degree uh, op opponents and the celebrities and the academic world and the intellectuals and the wealthy and the elite of Silicon Valley and Wall Street. I think he's got he's to emphasize that this election's on class. It's not on race. There's a hundred exactly. million people, muscular people, are out there every day taking a risk that they're going to be infected while they serve you at a store. Or they bring your DoorDash food to your curbside. Or they bring your uh, oven when it blows up from Home Depot. Or they're trucking all night. Or they're producing food. Or they're farming. And yes, they don't always have the correct mask and maybe they don't social distance. But they're keeping the country uh, going for whom? The Zoom and the Skype yep. cloud. 
house that are in their basements telemarketing or teleworking or whatever they do and making a lot of money and then hectoring everybody that they're politically incorrect or they're racist or their mask is an inch too small or they, they were one foot closer. And Trump's got to say, you know, I'm, I'm one with these people. I, I want to frack because that frees us from these Middle, Middle East quagmires yeah. and it gives your kids good wages and it doesn't send your kid to Afghanistan or Iraq. I want to get out of the Green Deal because I want you to have a job. I don't want a bunch of elites in the Bay Area to tell you how to live your life. So it's got to be a class argument. And I think he can say, I'm one with you. And I did. I don't have any apologies for getting sick. That's what the president's supposed to do. You're supposed to take risks. Meet foreign leaders. Bring individuals into the White House. Crisscross the country. Yeah, even have a rally. I'm not. And you know what? When I get sick, I'm going to take risks by taking experimental drugs if I have to, to get back on the job. I am not going to stay in my basement and quarantine myself and isolate myself and pass judgments on others that you're not willing to take the same risk. And I think that argument's going to appeal. A lot of people are getting tired of the sort of, the sort of things that you outlined tonight. Well, I certainly am. The people who benefited the most from the country seem to despise it the most, which is unsustainable. Professor Vic Javis Hansen, great to see you tonight.
Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reed. While the media calls it peaceful, we call it the violent left. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protest is supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, he kills. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized, black right, to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? He said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. The country is white men, most of them radicalized, right to the right. All punches are not equal morally. And please, show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Gas is coming out. Why you report? Make sure you let know it's black or white person too. 
So that's National Guard. National, no, yeah, National Guard. Usually it's the other way around. The protesters are on the grass. Wow, you guys, look at how many are coming. This has to You guys, there has to be about 200. If that, two, four, six, eight. That, it's just, dang. We have the um, National Guard here. Oh, look at, and you've got mutual aid here. They're handing out waters. Isn't that amazing? I'm good. Thank you, though. Thank you. So the march has continued on, you guys. We saw this earlier on the freeway. They just kept marching past the police line. Granted, it was much smaller, but if you want an example of a group of people that give like zero fucks, it's, I would hand it to them. Sorry, I didn't mean to swear. But as you saw when I was in LA and when they said other places, actually I won't name them by name, Usually, there'd be a line like, okay, I'm good, I'm gonna go home now. So, I don't know, you have to hand it to the, these. brush over this just because we have so you know we're really long today but uh julio rosa on the granawa watus wawatosa 
Townhall.com and some of BLM crowd are smashing storefronts. Some rioters are now smashing windows on homes, march toward a line of police, throwing projectiles. That that was a Kuman Learning Center. They just smashed up. Makes sense. Smashed the businesses. Video BLM rioters smash windows of homes in residential Wisconsin after DA doesn't charge cop and fatal shooting. The most amazing thing that came out of that that I did not know. The shooter was black. The cop. The cop shooter was black and the mainstream media never said it. Rosa went the next day and it... It's devastated. They destroyed this poor little place. The minute the crew free curfew lifted, volunteers showed up again. The cleanup process, several volunteers tell me they want people to see good that is in Wawatusa. Cleanup repair is now underway for the businesses that were damaged by rioters. Community leaders and neighbors show up near Swain Boulevard and North Avenue to help with the cleanup. Closer look at the damage of the private residences that were targeted last night. And none of our media covered it. Didn't cover any of it because they didn't want to hurt Biden, <clears throat> nor did they cover profoundly flawed group of scholars call for Pulitzer Prize to be revoked for 1619 Project. A group of scholars demanding the Pulitzer Prize revoke writer Nicole Hannah-Jones Pulitzer Prize for her essay. We call on Pulitzer Board to rescind the 2020 prize, a commentary award to Nicole Hannah-Jones which was signed by 21 professors, academics, and historians. That essay was entitled, Our Democracy Founding Ideals Were False When They Were Written. But it turns out the article itself was false when written, making a large claim that protecting the institution of slavery was a primary motive of the American Revolution, a claim for which there is simply no evidence. None. Then elsewhere in Wisconsin... And I wanted to get that in. I know it seems like you go violence, violence, but that that's part of this violence. You write articles like that, people get fucking crazy. Here's a guy trying to tell people to stop riding motorcycles on their lawn, on his lawn. What you doing in Tussle? Like you're going in my yard? Oh, you have no idea. You know how many Democrats, how many MPS teachers, union members, other people that could support you live on this street. And you're going to let him ride through my yard? Oh, Show some respect. The cops pushed us this way. Just All right, so, you know. so they put, did they push him into my yard? No, it's not the point. Then. Not the police. Police your protest, which I know you're all capable of. We can all have differences. We can all have differences. Yeah, meeting and cover. Meeting and cover. Couple arrested for allegedly selling explosives to undercover ATF agent. Southern Maryland Newsnet report 29-year-old Brittany Nicole Adams of Landover, Maryland, and 30-year-old Anthony Benson Jr. of Washington, D.C. were arrested for conspiracy to distribute explosives and three counts of distribution of explosives, and they're part of BLM. Media won't report women minorities leading increase in concealed carry permits. The Washington Examiner's Paul Burdard reported that so many people are attempting to get the permits that some counties are experiencing long lines. Further, the CPRC found 
that there are 820,000 more concealed carry permit holders today than there were in 2019. There were two uh, permits for women and minorities continue to increase at a much faster rate. There are 2.7 million concealed handgun permit holders in 1999, 4.6 in 2007, 19.5 in 2020. I'm one of them. They're not reporting. NBA will leave social justice message to be delivered off the floor Due to their nosedive and ratings. Media not reporting. Gay guy says his LGBT friends have disowned him over supporting Donald Trump. I have lost 90% of my LGBT friends when he expressed his support. Because you can't step out. And then we have leaders that we're supposed to listen to. Alright. AOC like this tweet screen. All right. This is what we do. Brennan Soon is an LGBTQ EIEIO program director at MF, MMFA. He's also a queer man who loves his 94-year-old grandmother. He loves her so much that he can't let her vote for Trump. After RBG died, I listened to AOC say, there is someone in your life who only get you can get to in this election, and it's your job to get to them. Since then... I've been filled with anxiety knowing I need to do for me. That's my 94-year-old grandmother. <clears throat> she has always voted Republican. My very first memory of politics was her polling for Gore and Bush. And her telling me she supported Bush, but my parents supported Gore. I took one look at the two and said that I agree with my parents. After weeks of hesitation, I finally called my grandmother after SCOTUS. She has always been the greatest ally. The first thing she said to me when I came out was that she wanted me to have a grandkid for her. I never called her crying, but I did today, and I told her that in my work, I advocate for my community every day, and the last four years have been unbearably difficult for me. How? This is, all, this is what my daughter does on Facebook. It's all lies. Uh, right now, her mother's a friend because we disowned her. But we didn't disown her. We stopped following her on Facebook. But then she gets the drama because, once again, well, I'll save it for my commentary. Save it for my commentary today. Uh, last four years of Barely, I told her Republicans tried to take away our right to marry, adopt, and access health care. Nah, not true. I told her to vote Republican was a vote that would harm me in my future. I told her I was scared. And today my grandmother promised me she would vote for Joe Biden. She told me that I'm the lover of life and that she would not break my promise. I'm still crying. Please call your loved ones and tell them to do what I say is not what I do. A grown man cried until his grandma agreed to vote for Biden. GP, you're a horrible person for bullying a family member no less, 94 years old, to vote the way you want them to vote. So you manipulate an elderly woman instead of trying to gain wisdom from her. Emotionally abusing a 94-year-old grandma is what scumbags do. AOC, congratulations. Proud of you and your grandma. That's these people. And then, Yelp. This one, once again, I, I say it's violence. Because this is why we have people doing stupid shit. Because they believe dumb shit. Yelp has a new racist label for businesses. The little old white man who runs a local hardware store mentioned he was a Trump supporter. Did your neighborhood coffee shop refuse to put up a BLM sign? Or a blue and pink trans right flags on the window after the last police brutality case? Did your favorite fast food chain decide to continue to close on Sundays because of white Jesus? 
Well, Business Review website Yelp has come up with a new method for concerned citizens to voice their concern about such microaggressions and acts of racism. According to the website, which publishes crowdsourced information on businesses from contact information to business hours, Yelp is offering a new service that allows users to complain about racism. Yelp's Twitter page posted a disturbing announcement on October 8 with a tweet that slated, Today we're announcing a new consumer alert to stand against racism. In the last few months, we've seen that there's a clear need to warn consumers about businesses associated with egregious racial charged actions to help people make more informed spending decisions. Talk about Orwellians, so now what? When the act of being colorblind supporting the current president are simply not buying to the general tenets of the far-left policies, all equates to being racist these days, you know the system is bound to be abused. Yelp is going for broke with a woke on this one. Why can't some disgruntled customer be trusted to complain of racist behavior in a scathing review? Well, it's because anti-racism has become the new cultural hysteria. Now we can push the hardworking Smith family who work hard to keep their ice cream shop open well in the autumn season. Remember, kids, according to the Museum of African American History in D.C., the concept of hardworking is white exclusion construct. Those Smiths better stop waving in our faces. <clears throat> Communities have been turned to Yelp in reaction to current events, and our user operation team already places alerts on business pages. We notice an unusual uptick in views that are based on what someone may have seen in the news rather than on firsthand experience. Now, when a business gains attention for reports of racist conduct, Yelp will place a new business accused of racist behavior alert on their Yelp page to inform users along with a link to a news article where they can learn more. And then we get this. Uh-oh! Yelp has an extra business accuser racist behavior alert to put on their own page. So, Yelp, what would you do if your business was accused of racist conduct? I'd like to accuse Yelp of racist behavior. And there it is. At Yelp, Phoenix office, some insiders say a boys club atmosphere. <laughs> oh, my God. Classic. Just classic. Baltimore bus driver fatally shot in broad daylight as he laid bleeding on the ground and suspects walks over and shoots him several more times. Broad daylight. With video that I won't play. And why do I cover that? Because boys and girls, that's called the Ferguson effect. And it was the first one we talked about way before we started social justicing about how every time there's a faux outrage over a cop shooting that turns out to be bullshit, like Kenosha, cops pull back. Murder rate goes up. Violence goes up. Robbery goes up. Raping goes up. Carjacking goes up. Everything goes up. And our last violence, before we go to this in America... Here are the secrets of Antifa the undercover reporter revealed. After George Floyd died May 25th, the country erupted in protest, blah, blah, blah. Not, known as, not much is known about the organized structure of Antifa over the black bloc anarchists that make up the groups. For the past five months, however, undercover reporters have been going to protests and riots across the country and found out more about this group's operation. Antifa calmly dresses up as members of the press to evoke sympathy from the public. Daily Caller reporter Shelby Talcott Describes seeing members of the media participating in protests and riots. Antifa has devised tactics that help them 
against police officers and help them act like victims during a riot, Talcott said. One thing I've noticed is that many have begun to dress as members of the press, as media typically exempt from curfews, unlawful assemblies, and are supposed to be left somewhere somewhat alone by the police. This fake press is easy to identify if you take a step back during a riot and watch what they do. While donned out in press gear, Antifa will harass police officers and even participate in counterattacks during riots. We've seen some with shields, others throwing things. As soon as officers move in, these Antifa members cry press. And it sounds like this. Yep, he's got a fucking press badge on, and he's part of the riot. I've even seen situations where fake press will attack the police by throwing objects at them during the protests in Portland and cuss at them. This will usually draw out a response from officers during the riot to arrest the individual. These individuals will then claim they're members of the press while being arrested, and bingo bonga boo. Erin Smith, a conservative trans woman who went undercover in Portland, also described seeing what she called sympathetic press. That's why all the press is there. The sympathetic press, Smith told Reason. They're trying to create propaganda. They know how the police are going to react, so they carefully calibrate what they do to try to provoke the police into reacting and then filming it. Antifa's organizational structure is unlike the structure of a typical group, the reporter said. It's intentionally ambiguous, so they can't chase them down. Anarchists detail the taxis themselves and anarchic publication Cremithic, which we covered oh so long ago on the show. Go back in the old catalog when this Antifa stuff broke and Chuck Todd brought it on Meet the Press and I was still watching the Meet the Press. I covered all this. It was fucking horse shit. Um, a New York Times article said the strategy of violent black block anarchists was no light fi- to light fires, break windows, and otherwise create mayhem before retreating into the crowd. One poli- once police react, they portray themselves as victims, and now the police look bad. Basically, they're baiting the police into overreaction. Antifa goes for a certain type of violence, a mid-level violence. <clears throat> Most people aren't practicing violence, and they'll do this. They'll either back down or they'll overreact. Antifa's basically as a group doing the equivalent of pushing someone on the shoulder again and again until they react. We know this because we witnessed one of Antifa leaders, Nikki Jameson, guarding checkpoints and hopping on the radio when he saw something suspicious. In another instance, the guard noticed that we were leaving the zone and identified we were press, then had us followed by after with Antifa fuckheads. She didn't say fuckheads. Smith describes Antifa organized structure as an open source network insurgency. People keep looking for a chain of command. You don't necessarily need that as long as everyone understands a basic level instruction and work. And once again, if you put it online, what does the media do? Well, we have been down this. I, that's kind of why I, I, I left fucking Facebook, was getting censored every time I posted flyers found by reporters for the wrong news medias, basically. Um, you know, not CNN who found the work from, you know, $15 an hour, go punch people in the face, you know, all this fucking shit with code words and everything. And they would say, this is false news. But it's not false news. 
It's what they're doing. It's what they're doing. And they get away with it over and over and over because the media wants this until they don't because of the polls are right once again and Mr. fucking Biden wins. Anarchists are for anarchy, you fucking dolts. They're not going to stop just because you're in charge. I mean, what the fucking fuck, dude? Which brings us to This Is America. And once again, these are the worst sound bites. We're going to have two sections, really. Uh, One's a COVID. um, Well, three. An email. And then the 25th. So we'll start with Mayor de Blasio. A fucking cocksucker. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America in 2019. and mocks Trump with the mask proudly. Ted Cruz. Wait, at the start of the video, he has no mask on a balcony outside. Clearly, DeMazio wants to kill everyone. The performative. Bill de Blasio came inside to wear a mask to go back inside. Meanwhile, you're locking New York down again. And this is why even New York Democrats hate you. 
Brooklyn Jews fight back after Cuomo and de Blasio target their neighborhoods over COVID-19. Julia Marsh, New York City mayor, warns of fines for mass gatherings of up to 15K a day. Fines are not wearing face coverings or not maintaining social distance as high as 1K a day. He announces 1,200 personnel on the ground today to enforce COVID lockdowns. And we played the uprising. There's numerous. We played on the last show. Protests in Borough Park, Brooklyn, with music people just marching for freedom. The mayor, there will be no tolerance for setting fires, and yet there was no consequences last night for BLM. Some of these videos circulating from last night in Borough Park are pretty incredible. At least when the lockdowns are done by zip code, people understood that even if imperfect, now Orthodox Jew feel their neighborhoods are being singled out. And here it is. This is how I'm going to play it. Oh, they started a fire. Because people were saying they can't start fires. They showed BLM fires. They start a fucking fire. There is a mass burning going on in Borough Park. Community leaders have been talking to in recent hours all lay the blame on Cuomo's restriction on houses of worship. We've lost control, they concede. Community resident Hershey Tilshow tells protesters in the presence of NYPD inspector, you are my soldiers, we are at war. And they are. Because it's direct. He then tries to justify his anti-Semitism. Joseph Spector, you haven't had a governor who is a greater friend of the Israel and Jewish community, Cuomo says, amid pushback on his COVID rules. B.S. He's for boycott and divestment and Palestine. He's right. Beside David Patterson, Elliot Spitzer, and George Pataki, the Jewish community hasn't had a great ally in governor's office since his dad was governor. He's literally whipped up New York into blaming Jews for Komen. Prakeep Shakur. Cuomo's no friend of either. He may not even be he may not be an enemy, but this is a different story. When Trump equates Jews in America with Israel, it's a two-day story, somebody said. And Nathan Wurzel, first of all, you don't answer criticism of anti-Semitic actions by citing support of Israel. First sign you're in bad faith. This is about Jews who live in Cuomo State, not Israel. You know who loves Israel? The alt-right. It's because they don't want Jews here, which is a good call. And then an article comes, thousands of health experts signed declaration calling for end of lockdowns, warn of irreparable damage, and they sent it to Cuomo himself. But these are socialists, folks. Just socialists. In Canada, they have just saved Halloween for pandemic with a proposed pneumatic candy dispersal system. You literally chuck the candy at the kids. It's, it's fucking crazy, folks. This shit is just fucking crazy. But not as crazy as this. This was a whole day of somehow this is a horrible thing to say. Mike Lee. Democracy isn't the objective. Liberty, peace, and prosperity are. We want the human condition to flourish. Rank democracy can thwart that. David Heresy, this should be the least controversial tweet. Ben Collins, remember this, and there it is. 
Remember Putin's implicit promise to Russians, support me, ignore my corruption, ignore my fake elections, and I will make you prosperous. And now look, Russians aren't even prospered yet. Putin's still in charge. It's, it's, uh, what's her fucking name? Trying to open up her fucking profile. Applebaum and Applebaum. She works for The Atlantic. Casey Hunt. Democracy isn't the objective. This from a sitting member of a democratically elected U.S. Senate. My response to her. Some people did something. Burn the system down. Impeach the motherfucker. Get in people's faces. I don't know why we don't have civil unrest. Also said by Democratic senators, but Casey DNC Hunt ignores that and loses her panties over a simple tweet. You fucking hack. Just a fucking hack. Matt Yanglazy. As Matt Mike Lee makes a case against democracy on Twitter, Trump goes on television to demand the arrest of his political advertisers. It was an article on New York Mag. Then we get the CNN hacks. This is seriously disturbing. Is ranked democracy what you call democracy when you're losing? Democracy isn't the objective. Susan Hennessy. Lee will defend this with some actually the founder's drivel, but what he really means is that whenever deeply unpopular GOP policy preferences and deeply unpopular GOP procedural gamemanship conflict with democratic principles, Republicans should do what they want, and that's when I stopped. That's just when I stopped. Because we're not talking about the deeply unfucking american shit the left wants to do no we're not talking about that i mean i even missed the whitmer shit they were trying to tie it to trump all to trump it's his fault not all the democrats said we need to burn the fucking whole system down and get people's faces that was not the reason for the riots But a plot of some anarchists to get Whitmer, who they're trying to say is right wing, but it's not by what I played for you. Not those are that's the ringleader. No, it's Trump's fault. And then we have the unbelievably un-American, unconstitutional bullshit that is the 25th Amendment. I'm going to play Nancy Pelosi and then her day two comments where it's just not about Trump. Which makes everybody start going, holy fuck, they want to get rid of Biden right off the fucking bat. And then the media supporting the shit. When we hear people saying, I'm, I'm young and I'm a perfect, perfect specimen, instead of addressing the fact that what 50,000 people were uh, infected, reported to be infected yesterday, nearly 1,000 people died. What are we talking about here? Tomorrow, by the way, tomorrow... Come here tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the 25th Amendment, but not to take attention away from the subject we have now. Okay, here's the thing. This is not about President Trump. He will face the judgment of the voters, but he, uh, he shows the need for us to create a process for future presidents. Throughout America's history, our leaders have created and strengthened guardrails in the Constitution to ensure stability and continuity of government in times of crisis. The 25th Amendment creates a path 
preserving stability if a president suffers a crippling physical or mental problem and is, unquote, in the amendment, unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office and transfers his powers. Specifically, Section 4 of the amendment empowers Congress to set up an independent body uh, to confront such a crisis. Congress has a constitutional duty to lay out the process by which a president is president's incapacity and the president of any party is determined. This bill honors the duty by uh, creating a standing commission uh, of top former executive officials and medical experts selected in a bipartisan, bicameral way. A president's fitness for office must be determined by science and facts. So much craziness going on, you may have missed Nancy Pelosi going completely off the rails today. Our Kevin Cork in Washington is following it and has a story for us. Hey, Kevin. Evening, Tucker. We've actually seen this play before, the one where the sitting Speaker of the House and her acolytes in the media question the mental and physical capacity of the president. Think back to 2017 when Democrats actually introduced a bill called the Oversight Commission on Presidential Capacity Act. Back then, they claimed the aim was to, quote, determine whether the president is mentally or physically unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office. Well, tomorrow, they'll draw from that bill again to take another run at questioning the president's fitness for office. Here's a somewhat cryptic House Speaker Pelosi today. Tomorrow, by the way, tomorrow, come here tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the 25th Amendment. I'll talk to you about it tomorrow. I'm not talking about it today except to tell you, if you want to talk about that, we'll see you tomorrow. So again, if all this seems familiar, it should. Recall that this sort of went on well into 2017 with many on the left trotting out the canard, citing the 25th Amendment that the president somehow couldn't do the job. So tomorrow, it would seem, a new tactic from an old playbook. Tucker? Take him out a month before the election. Never yeah. sitting like this. Kevin Cork, great to see you tonight. Thank you. You too. Can you give us a sense of how someone on, on doses of dexamethasone, the, the steroid, which is a powerful steroid, can impact a patient dealing with the virus? Well, I mean, it, it, it has a positive effect. If, if you have advanced disease, particularly that requires oxygen, uh, and you are in the hospital, the studies show that dexamethasone has a really significant positive impact. My feeling is looking at him and how good he looks and the fact that he's received these therapies it's likely that they played a major role in making him get on the road to recovery. Is there any risk to a patient to be making major decisions when they're on these powerful steroids in terms of judgment? Uh, you know, th th that's an idea that gets kicked around, uh, Andre. The, the only trouble with that is that probably get taken out of context. I mean, one of the things when you're on steroid, there are a number of side effects. You know, it makes you hyper energetic. It sometimes interferes with your ability to sleep. If you're on it for a very long period of time, which he's not, and they don't plan on having him in on it for a very long period of time, there are long range side effects. But the side effects now that you generally have when a person is on a higher dose for a short time, it's more that you just are very energetic. 
Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, she's also making some headlines this morning, bringing up the the 25th Amendment. What more can you tell us about that? So here's what we know, Craig. She's set to introduce a bill today to create this what's called Commission on Presidential Capacity. She's hinting she's going to be talking about that 25th Amendment you mentioned. That provides procedures to transfer power to the vice president in case of the president's death, removal, resignation or incapacitation. The speaker has been raising questions about the president's state of mind, given the drugs he's taken for his coronavirus treatment. She said in an interview, the president appears to be in an altered state. The president is, uh, shall we say, uh, in an altered state right now. The news comes as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi plans to form a commission today to review President Trump's fitness for office. She's concerned about his behavior while taking the powerful steroid dexamethasone. His disassociation from reality would be funny if it weren't so deadly. The president's doctors say he's been treated with steroids, which can cause side effects like mood swings and cognitive deficits. Democrats now want to establish a new commission to determine whether a president is fit to perform the duties of the office under the 25th Amendment. Congress is not even in legislative session right now, so any serious discussion or votes on Pelosi's measure are highly unlikely. It's more of a political stunt than anything, but given the age of both candidates in this race, the 25th Amendment could be a live concern going forward. One should also say that the doctors might want to step in and see how much of the medication is working here because they're steroids. I've been on steroids. I know what they do to your thinking. And so that's something someone should be really monitoring because, you know, it's it's not easy when someone is in this kind of steroid high. Uh, when was the last time you had an actual conversation with him? Do you? <laughs> I, I remember the last time I saw you do it on television and it, it didn't seem like it went that well. So do you, <laughs> is it time to pick up the phone? Do you want to go over to the White House? Or, or what, what's the best way to work this out now? That I wouldn't go anywhere near go. the White House. It's one of the most dangerous places <laughs> uh, in the country, uh, both in terms of the yeah. uh, assault that it makes on truth as well as health. Last time I had an uh, interaction with the president was the State of the Union address, and after that, you know, I tore up the speech and all, but after that, I said to my uh, staff, I said, I think he was medicated. There's something wrong with how he came on and presented. Uh, I said yesterday to my colleagues, I said, there are those who say uh, that uh, steroids have an impact on people's thinking. I don't know, but there are those uh, health care providers who say that. Also, if you have the coronavirus, it has an impact as well. So the combination is something that should be viewed. Uh, but again, uh, the, yeah. there are enablers around the president who really sh should know better. I'm dreaming of the day when we call, say, President Nancy Pelosi. I think that <laughs> sounds really good, but let's go. See, there's not a single thing the left does that isn't about power. Taking control. The 25th was for the president and his cabinet for him to write a letter and say, hey, I can't do it because I'm sick or whatever. I mean, the worst part about this, and let's just cut to the chase. This was an episode on the West Wing. All these people remember it. It was, there's no way George Bush would ever do stuff like this kind of crap coming out of the fucking political class. But he writes a letter. The vice president takes over. There's no vice president. He's getting incapacitated, which is really why she started this. Because Deadline, a non-political fucking site, broke the Pence had 
COVID. And then it was false and they had to retract it. So everybody spun up and instantly everybody was on the media and we were playing it. And I have all sorts of sound bites I can keep playing. And they're going, I'm so excited about a Nancy Pelosi president. She goes, how do I get, how do I get power? Well, they're not going to do it. They'll lie because they're liars and I want that power. So what we're going to do is we're going to fucking say we're going to take over the 25th. We, the Congress, will vote that the president's incapable of doing his job and give the vice president the position until we say. And that has nothing to do with what the framers wanted, the people that wrote it. That is partisan bullshit. It, has, it is just right in line with Electoral College, two new states, filibuster, pack in the court. It's total power. They don't fucking care what you think. They don't care about anybody but themselves. They have a monopoly on the media. They have a monopoly on social media. So it all comes down to, we're going to take control and we're going to take every obstacle that could possibly be there away so we have total control and the 25th is the way we could do it right now. Pelosi and Representative Raskin plan to introduce a legislation tomorrow to establish a commission on the 25th Amendment charge of evaluating the president. Raskin has already filed very similar legislation in creating a congressional body, which is actually contemplated in the 25th Amendment itself, made up of doctors, psychiatrists, and former executive branch officials to make judgment that the president's health is failing. Dan Crenshaw, these people have no limits. They are hungry for power, nothing else. How does making Mike Pence president give them more power? But she was questioning his health. And then the next day, she was questioning, basically trying to spin, oh, no, no, it's not about Trump. It's about any president. But they disrespect everything. They just disrespect everything because they're not fucking adults. Which brings me to my last soundbite. Soulmates. And I am totally fucked up because I didn't grab an article. So let me just see. I think it's AMC. Soulmates. Soulmate. AMC. Listen to this. We're ready for you now. You're taking the test? I thought you guys were happy. I look around and I see people living their best lives. And I want to be one of them. Some of us want more. Some of us want love. I thought taking the test was going to be the answer. I thought it would make me happy. We're going to start the machine now. Are you ready to meet your soulmate? If you want to stop at any time, just raise your right hand. Stop, stop! It's perfectly harmless. This is a new series. It's very interesting. And I hope from what I'm seeing, it is what I think it is and it's about a test and you get tested and you find out you have soulmates and invariably it's not the person you're with and in the case of these two people 
the main characters in the first episode, not to do a spoiler, they both change and go to somebody else and then regret it. And I thought, what an incredibly poignant statement of what's wrong with our country. A, <clears throat> nobody looks at the, the especially the, well, the left, doesn't look at the family as anything that's important. The family is a waste. The family is not an important thing. That's why these young kids aren't getting married. That's why BLM wants to get rid of fucking marriage altogether. Because marriage is a terrible institution that gives you morals and values. And most African Americans are living with baby daddy. That's not being racist. That's just a reality. Dudes spray their seed everywhere and have a million fucking kids and they don't have a family. So to them, that's a normal thing on the very, very, very far left of African-Americans. So they want to destroy it. B, it's all about fast food. Nothing. Nobody wants to wait. Everybody wants to be a fucking internet star, have instant fame, And that's what's running our media and the Democratic Party right now. For four years, they couldn't get the election that they swore they were going to get because Barack Obama once, twice, and the demographics are gone, and old white people are a thing of the past, and America's not conservative. They all want this crazy far-left shit. And as the four years went on, the media got crazier and crazier, was supporting any fucking thing they could do, and ignoring anything that the left did that was bad, that we have... The 25th being taken over by partisan opposition party. Electoral college going the fuck away on ABC. Packing courts. Filibuster out the window. And oh fuck the goddamn anybody but us having power. Total power. That show is our society. As a whole, they have spent four years ensuring Trump couldn't do anything. They even impeached him, but they don't talk about it because it's not good for polls. They think COVID is their poll winner and not talking about any of the crazy shit they want to do with no input from an opposition party and no input from the flyover states is the way to do it. And soulmates, to me, is a perfect metaphor. I mean, why work in a marriage? Why work in a country? Why actually legislate and make compromises that everybody wants? Almost every election of your lifetime, you go through it, it is voted in as block. You either have a Republican Senate, and a Democratic House with a Republican president, or a Democratic Senate with a Democratic president and a Republican House. That's how it's been the whole time. Democrats have speedily tried to jerry-rig everything so they can't lose anything because they lost over a hundred or what a thousand seats under Obama. But that's how the American people do it, because they want compromise. The American people are not the 18% of liberals who think that the country needs to be run by them. The American people are the shirt I'm wearing right now, which yesterday was my 53rd birthday. I feel incredibly old. And my present really was a puppy dog who I love, and I'm not going to act like a female on this show, but little multi-poo that weighs three pounds. Whoa! 
That's a lot of fucking whooping me down, man. I am just a baby around that little girl. It's, it's, it's embarrassing what I'm doing. I'm making cuckoo sounds. Anyway, but she bought me a shirt, and it has a regular logo on the front, which is changing today. We're going to the Jolly Rogers. Um, I, I wanted to go to Skull and Crossbones, and I found one. Um, but she did a different background instead of the one I have with the flyover state color. It's just an outline of the United States of America with flyover politic podcast in the middle. And when I opened it up and I looked at that shirt, it just struck me what they're about. They have the Northeast and the East Coast border, and they have the West Coast border. And everything in the middle, they want no comment. You just shut your fucking mouth. You heard it in that soundbite by Snuffleupagus. Why should southern states have input? Why should Nebraska have any votes? Fuck Wyoming. You people don't count. Your opinions don't count. And I've said it a billion times on the show. I've been all over the fucking country. Every part of this country has different norms, values, religious, family structure. They all believe different things. That's why the framers set up that there was a thing called state rights. And in Alabama, no abortion. And in New York, abortion through fucking college. My kid got an F. Kill that motherfucker. That's a woman's choice. So we set it up that way. But the children, which is the Democratic Party, and all these people in our street burning shit down, and all the progressives you're running on fucking Twitter are so used to getting their way in the media and social media that opposition become impediments to what they want to do, so they want to silence it out. Basically, their whole legislative plan is to make it Twitter. You don't have a point. You don't have input. We're not listening to you. It is the ACA. And most of us didn't pay attention. We didn't pay attention to Obama saying, get in the street in your house, coat and slippers, and fuck shit up. We didn't pay attention when they went behind closed doors and made a bill and said, well, no, it's in the bill when we pass it. Because the Speaker of the House didn't even know. And then they got rid of 51 votes or 60 votes and passed that shit. And it was blemished on purpose. And it took the Supreme Court, which once again, they're so scared of the Supreme Court. Yet in my lifetime, the Supreme Court has fallen more for the left other than Citizens United than they have for the right. They legislated DACA. They legislated gay marriage. They legislated the ACA. They said, well, it's a tax. They don't have that right. They're supposed to say this is unconstitutional because it wasn't written correctly to have the tax and subsidies. Go rewrite it. But it fell the way they wanted. But they don't want to have any hesitation. They want unadulterated obedience. As we said on the last show, everybody's saying it now. It's very cliche with conservatives. I don't give a fuck. I'm an independent and I agree 100%. 
That's this whole mass shit. It is just obedience training for the masses. Shut the fuck up and do what we're told. You put up a Trump sign next to a highway, we're taking it down. BLM can block that highway. You shut your fucking mouth. That's social justice. You want a lockdown protest? You're a fucking terrorist. You want to burn down a city? You're a patriot. We haven't been listening to these motherfuckers. They've been speaking for the last 12 years. And their voice is one united, we want to make the world Twitter, Facebook, college campuses. No opinion, no compromise. We are smarter, we know what's right for this country, and what's right for this country is to change it to a socialist country because capitalism is evil, we're burning too much carbons, white people are racist, men are fucking pigs. Shut your fucking mouth. If a normal American isn't paying attention to this 25th shit, which did get out, They had to talk about it. And you go and vote for Biden. You're voting against your personal liberty. Because as the left likes to say right now, when they did this to socialists, I ignored. When they did this to Jews, I ignored. When they came for me, it was too late. That's the world you're about to live in, pal. Because eventually they're going to go for a liberty you care about. It may not be guns. It may not be federally funded abortion. It may not be that you don't, maybe you don't want representation. Maybe you do want them to have 52 states that have fucking all the fucking senator thing with 50 votes. And they guaranteed to pass the most unconstitutional bullshit through and have a court that doesn't block it because they packed it with nothing but progressives like Kagan and Sotomayor. Maybe that's what you want. But eventually, when they say you have to have renewables and you don't have electricity and you're sitting in your fucking house in Texas sweating balls, you'll go, oh, goddamn, that Green New Deal was bad. Or where you go out and you go hunting, it's all clear cut so they can put up wind fucking mills. Or they say your 67 fucking Corvette can't go on the road anymore because it's not green, motherfucker. Park it. They show you with their fucking words and deeds. They will not be denied. They will get their way even if they have to redo the whole system. How many fucking people do you have to listen to say, burn the system down before you believe they're going to burn the system down? We got motherfuckers in the street doing it. Lefties say it all the time. You're voting for your life. Right now, if you're not a far left 18% of this country Democrat, you're voting for your rights. Because they will take away your religious freedom. They will take away your representation. They will tax the fucking shit out of you. They will take your guns. They will restrict what you can drive, eat. I mean... How many times you got to hear cow farts to realize they're going after beef? These people are fascists. It's not the Trump fascists. It's not the, oh, he's taking away my rights as an LGBT. It's been so bad for four years to nothing happened to me. 
There's still gay marriage. The only thing the Trump administration did was transgenders in the military. That was it. He was more pro-gay than Obama was, dickheads. We're talking real rights. Real infringement on civil liberties. If a party wants you to have a national license to fucking have a gun, but do not believe you need a license to vote, that says something about them, folks. That says a lot about them. That means they value power over you over free and fair elections. To our sound bites of the day. Big Sis in Colorado sent me a TikTok video. Not as funny audio as it is visual because it's pretty funny. And I got to admit, I've never heard of an alpaca hump. But yeah, you can see her vagina. I'm just saying in a pair of, I don't know, yoga pants. And then a local army recruiter at the death of Van Halen. His video went viral because the motherfucker shreds this shit and it's awesome. Enjoy. Well, my gosh, what can I say except Debbie, you're going to Paris, and this is the final answer heard all around the world. He's won a million dollars. What do you look at? The same goddamn thing you're looking at, Billy Bob. The fucking Soul Snatcher 3000 right there. Standard issue. Comes equipped with credit card debt and really bad life decisions. You can also upgrade that package to premium, which comes with I drank 13 white claws and still don't feel anything. And if you want the gold membership, that's going to cost you the house, probably a truck and your favorite bass boat. That comes standard with all men are the same. So I'll say again, Gary, we're all staring at her fucking alpaca hoof. That is all. Finally tonight, as music fans mourn the loss of iconic rock guitarist Eddie Van Halen, a U.S. soldier's tribute is on a roll. As soon as Staff Sergeant, Austin, uh, Staff Sergeant Austin West learned of Van Halen's passing Tuesday, he plugged in his guitar and started playing live on Facebook. West is a recruiter and Army musician, and he got to see Van Halen perform live when he was 14. West says the legend's music has touched the lives of plenty of aspiring rockers. When you actually learn eruption on guitar and you're 15 years old even or 13 and it sounds completely horrible, you still you feel like a rock god. Like that's what it's just that that power. This dude was making full songs with a guitar by himself. Insane. After his recruitment assignment, West will join the well-known Army rock outfit As You Were for a three-year U.S. tour. As for that rock and roll tribute, at last count, more than 320,000 views. Staff Sergeant Austin West, thank you. And if you have stuff we need to see, send it to 7. You can find that on our website, also on our mobile app. And that is our... Some good stuff. So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Next show will be the 14th of October, year of our Lord 2020. 
Sorry for the length. A lot of stuff to put out. Try to shorten it next time. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeah. Spend some time with your family. Get ready for Halloween and enjoy some apple cider or whatever you do. Just stay away from pumpkin spice. It's the devil. And tune back in Wednesday for another show. As always, thanks for listening. And instead of our violence montage, we will end with audio from my visit to Van Halen. May his and his family find peace. What a great talent he was. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. I'm the sun and the 
Particular. 